You are listening to the bomb hole. Bomb hole podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the bomb Gonna slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. Okay, here we go again. Another beautiful day in the booth here at the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer and Liquid Death. Now, Stony Buds, how are we doing? So good, my dog. God, I love hearing that. To my left, uh, it's a real treat of a guest today. We have Lucas Huffman in the booth. What's going on, Lucas? How we doing? So good, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real treat to have Lucas in the booth today. He is one of the most influential writers of our time, known for going bigger than everybody, and one of the first to take technical Big riding to natural features in the backcountry, you know, spinning off of wind lips, things like that. And uh, he was in some of the biggest videos of our generation, you know, Mac Dog, Kingpin, went on to have a great career in filmmaking. And uh, it's a real pleasure for myself to be able to sit down with you, Lucas. And uh, let's just jump right into what you are doing these days, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, today is a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, after this, I'm headed up to Breckenridge. I have a short film, uh, so a short narrative film that's in a film festival up there. And um, so that's what I do pretty much. I make films and I'm a dad. Uh, and that, those are kind of like the two things. And then occasionally uh, I get to come on a trip like this. Well, we noticed you've been uh, absolutely crushing dad life. Uh, you were pointing out all the hazards we had at the office for kids. Um, yeah, this place was not a daycare. <laughs> Sorry. How you like? How you liking dad life? Well, it seems like you're thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, uh, dad life is amazing. Um, so my, I have a three and a half year old and uh, a sixteen month old. Um, so they are at like, uh, you know, the three and a half year old is she can get dressed by herself. You know, that's like a, a big thing for her. And the 16 and a half month old, like she started walking last week. So like every day is just kind of like mind blowing stuff um, for them. Let's give them a little air horn for that. It's a, oh, big, it's yeah. a big achievement. Yeah. yeah. Once they can walk too, that's when it's the danger zone because they're just getting into everything. huh? Yeah. Yep. I mean, she was a really fast crawler. So we've been in the danger zone actually for like a while. But uh, they, yeah, I mean, they, like, I've, I mean, I was thinking of inspirations. I mean, they, the, the, in a nutshell, you know, like they are my number one inspiration for life. You know, like everything I do is in consideration of, of them and my wife. Um, and then everything they do is like so inspiring for me. You know, you come home. Like when I come home from this trip, they're going to be like pretty stoked to see me and I'll be really stoked to see them. And they're so cute and they're so funny. <laughs> and they're just they're like, you know, like whatever BS you've got going on and in your own zone, they're just like hilarious, you know. So you, you just come in and it's just like, it just like all goes away. And you got to be totally present too, you know. So it's like a meditative act in a way. Yeah, the kid kids are so like pure and untainted by bullshit, and they're just like so in the moment. And it seems like my sister's got a couple kids similar to your your uh, daughter's age, and like you just get on their level, and you're just like a kid too. And that's that'll kind of keep you young as well. Yeah, literally on the floor, right? <laughs> well, also, is that what keeps you young? Because you literally look the same age as like the last time I saw you twenty years ago. <laughs> what like what the fuck? So going true. On? Like what? What do you have Benjamin Button syndrome or just kind of curious? Oh man. I love to hear that. Thanks so much, Chris. 
Did your brother age as well? Yeah. Well, it is. It's just we slather on lots of sunscreen every day, and I also have a. Uh, Skin products. Okay, Sun, yeah. sunscreen yeah. is is clutch. You yeah. could potentially have a career being like a skin product influencer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it might be. I actually, I have older brothers um, that are fifty, and it, it actually might be something in the Huffman DNA. Oh, really? They um, look young too. Yeah. So thank you, mom and dad. Thanks for saying that. It really makes my day, Chris. <laughs> I think we should talk about the uh, celebrity, the celebrity lookalike oh. question, buds. Why don't you tee that one up? Yeah. So if you were going to make a movie about your life, and you are a movie maker, so for you, this is a great question. Who would you get to play the role of Lucas Huffman? Uh, if I was producing it, right, um, and I wanted to make a, you know, four TV remake, um, you know, the movie of Lucas, and I want an actor that looked just like Lucas, uh, I would get Steve Zahn. Who, um, you know, a lot of people don't know Steve Zahn. <laughs> I know <laughs> he's been in some great movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, American Pie is kind of like how most people know him from, and then he's done like a lot of TV work, and um, he looks like me. And the the funky thing is that he actually talks like me, and I think he's got a similar like sense of humor as me as well. Dude, ever since I saw him, he I always just was like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is incredible. My wife and yeah. I always laugh about it. Yeah, when we meet each other. There's going to be some serious chemistry. Um, Doppelganger. However, I'm not the producer that wants to make a four TV movie, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to do like a more moody, uh, big, like emotional ups and downs uh, festival hit that will then go on to win Oscars. And for that film, I would cast Matthew McConaughey (laughs) as me playing Lucas, you know, and and, uh, being able to make my life a lot more interesting and uh, a lot more in depth and a lot cooler. Incredible I, actor. I would like to. I would like to see that happen. I can imagine yeah. McConaughey like being Lucas Huffman at the top of a cheese wedge, like getting fired up to <laughs> drop in with some classic, incredible one-liners. Yeah, classic one-liners at the top of a cheese wedge. That'd yeah. be so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. get this movie uh, going. Let's greenlight this thing. Yeah. Have to talk to Spielberg. Get to get some things going here. Um, you guys are going to need to sell a lot of liquid death to get uh, a budget for Matthew McConaughey. He yeah. might just be down though, like a project about snowboarding. He might be into it. Yeah, you do have to have a lot of optimism to be a filmmaker. Mm. So let's just uh, run it back. We got a we got a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of terrain to cover. You could say, and a lot um, of country terrain. Yeah, we're gonna we're yeah we're we're going all over the board with this one, but. I found it super interesting, kind of the story behind your first snowboard. It all starts with Matthew McConaughey <laughs> as a nine-year-old in Vermont. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so I was, like, you know, nine and living in Montpelier, Vermont, tiny, smallest capital in the nation, the only capital in the nation without a McDonald's. And uh, like a f- very small other amount of nine-year-olds, uh, you know, this is, you know, like in the, that's 86, 86. Um, snowboarding's not a big thing, but there's Burton catalogs out there, you know, and, and something about it just like caught my imagination. And um, my parents, I don't know how, you know, like my parents were not up for just like buying me a snowboard and fair enough, you don't know what your kids are going to do. And, but my dad's really into making stuff. Um, so we, Got, uh, we laminated together some plywood, you know, as if you would make a skateboard. And then I remember just, like, we had this big pot of, like, boiling water on the stove. 
and we're holding it over there and like steaming the 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 wood so that we could shape the nose out of it. Mm-hmm. And the shape uh, was like exactly like a Burton Backhill, which you know, like ironically now is like the powder jet shape. You know, it's like a shape yeah. that's kind of uh, how many ever years that is. You know, like forty years later is making a comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we like steamed the this this wood and cut and like we're able to shape up this nose and then we put some cross-country ski bindings on it i took it up to the sledding hill behind our house and it was like an absolute failure (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say if that thing worked i mean you guys made the made your first snowboard that's incredible i never heard the story yeah yeah i mean we yeah we we certainly were um, it didn't ride though it was handcrafted (laughs) i mean the the punchline is like Imagine trying to do a hillside turn with um, cross-country ski bindings. Oh. So, like. Free your heel. Yeah, yeah. You, like, just lean back and then just. <laughs> and then just flop back. <laughs> and then, actually, um, just as a side, fun, funny side note, shortly after that, I entered a scarecrow contest in, uh, in Waterbury, Vermont. And the scarecrow, I was, like, obsessed with snowboarding. So, everything was snowboarding, you know. And the scarecrow was a snowboarder. And it was like my super cool like CB jacket and my goggles uh, stuffed with hay, and then this like wooden snowboard, and um, it all got stolen. Oh, <laughs> such a bummer! <laughs> Even the CB gear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the biggest loss was the CB gear because that was functional, but like the, the the snowboard, it would be nice to have it. Yeah, if you had that now, woo. Yeah. So, what was the first uh, successful snowboard then? Oh, well, that was the Sims micro switchblade, um, which was like the micro Palmer board, you know? So, um, and we got that at the B side. Do you remember the B side? Oh yeah. Yeah. Bought plenty of boards at the B side. Yeah. So like Andy and Jack Coughlin, you know, like that was. That was the boarding house. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. The boarding house. B side was their competition right down the street. Right. Yeah. 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 All of a sudden Bud's an encyclopedia. I love (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. So good. He's Burlington. Burlington. Burlington Burlington 80s trivia. Yeah. That's what we should have done. Burlington Burlington 80s 80s. trivia. I would have killed it. It would have been a wrap. It would have been a wrap for you, Lucas, on that one. Oh man. Yeah. That's because I was nine. So I don't, you you were, I, yeah. That's where I bought, uh, no, actually I bought my first board from Jake at the, the, uh, the store Burton store that was in central Vermont. Yeah. But then after that, all the boards I got were from either the B side or the boarding house. Yeah. Yeah. The board. Yeah. That, you know, like, uh, that was cool, you know, cause that was when like shops were like truly like the places for the culture to happen, you know, and for mentorship to happen, you know, cause those mm-hmm. were old, they were like, you know, established racer dudes. But I remember I would come in and, they would just be like, oh, they'd come in the micro shredder. Like, the micro shredder is here. <laughs> but I think it was probably like pretty unique to have like a nine year old dude, you know, coming mm-hmm. into a snowboard store in 86. And um, so they really, yeah, they were like, uh, they're really nice to me. And, and we got the, that, the Sims for Christmas. I knew we had it, but they wouldn't let me have it until like Christmas Day, you know, and then I get up and it's there. And I just fucking loved it that board it's like singed to see that board you know in my room that's like singed in my memory mm-hmm. and you could actually go in and buy a board from a professional snowboard i rode for burden and they had all the videos it was mm-hmm. pretty much the one of the dopest places you can yeah. go as a kid yeah dude and the uh the like i remember the sims team came through i got terry kidwell and sean palmer's like autograph on like a, a poster that would then go on to just like 
live, you know, right at the head of my bed. I would like go to sleep, like looking at this poster, you know, of, of Palmer, <laughs> of Palmer. Like, we could actually, we, I don't know if you, we could. I'd be happy to send that to you guys. Yeah, we'll drop it that in. poster. Send, send it yeah. to us. We'll put it. We'll put it right on the frame when you. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I just posted that a little while ago because mm-hmm. I, I, I just like surfaced in my life, and mm-hmm. I was like, this thing. I went to sleep, you know, like looking at Palmer, like cranking, you know, like his method, mm-hmm. and uh, and, and and yeah, and he signed it. But that was all. Yeah, because like the Coglins, you know, they would like bring people in, and like promote the promote the culture. One thing I'm fascinated about too, in regards to this stuff, is you grew up with the twin brother. Mm-hmm. So, h- how did you guys push each other, and what did those early days of snowboarding look like with you and Jesse? Yeah, yeah. So we were twins, and you know, both skated, and, and then both started snowboarding at like roughly the same time, and um, we're both like just obsessed, you know, like in in the way nine year olds can get about stuff, which then somehow also like a 19 year old get about stuff and we you know would like just devour like the films together you know so you always had you had like a buddy you know like you guys i assumed had like you know like some buddy that you guys would just like wear the tapes out with and stuff like that yeah Yeah. so it was like him and um and then we would go like we could only shred on weekends like in school so like our mom would drive us up and then be at the hill you know from 9 a.m. to closing time to like 4 p.m. Like, poor mom. When I th- as a parent now, and I think back, like, driving, doing all that driving, that's it's a pain in the ass. And then, you know, we would like uh, just push each other. And so, you know, like, as I had like mentioned before, snowboarding was fun, but uh, there was always kind of like a progression tension, <laughs> you know, when like uh, he would learn and he was better, he was better than me. For, for many years and then I maybe you know like I progressed and got better than him for many years and in those like many years when your brother's better than you you're just like just out of breath all the time <laughs> you know you're just like like wow well, come on, I'm not landing my threes you know or like and, and back then it was like how does he like tweak his front leg on his indie so much you know like what am I doing but it keeps the energy levels high, you know, and it keeps like the progression going, you know, like I, I would not be as good as I, as I got, you know, without like being competitive with him. You got the same DNA, right? You should be able to tweak your leg the same as him. We're fraternal twins. Oh, fraternal. That's obviously yeah, you're not identical because you're very not identical. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he, that's how that works with twins. Only the identical ones have. Yeah. He got like a special tweak knee and. <laughs> You got uh, the special tweak knee? You, you, tweak. Didn't, you, yeah. you didn't get the tweak knee? No, I got like the landing quads. <laughs> he got the, the tweak suspension. knee. He had like a insane, he would do like a, he's like front side three, like lean methods, you know, that um, I don't, I don't think I had the core flexibility. <laughs> you know, he got the method core. <laughs> he got the, like all these things. Do you ever do you ever have like I've heard some stories about twins and I don't know if this is identical or not where you kind of are like connected on a weird level where if something happens to happens to him you know that it happens or feel it? Yeah, no. The and, and <laughs> yeah, the, so you no. didn't get that either. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. The, yeah you guys they, could not be more opposite. Huh? Yeah, you know like physically like he looks like quite different than me. But I mean now we our best of friends, you know, and I had, I just moved back to Vermont from New York two weeks ago and he lives there. And that's part of like 
one of the great things of moving back there is that like him and I just get to hang out all the time. No, I mean like the the main example for how that's not true is uh, Jesse. Like when we were nineteen, like first year after graduating, he broke his back super bad at uh, Mount Hood in like a kind of like a high profile crash. <laughs> not, do you guys remember this? I do. Yeah, it was in. Yeah, I mean it was like in a Mac Dog movie, but you know he like overshot like a a hood jump after he gets salted, which probably happens classic many, you know too many times but like he overshot you know by like 60 feet and this yeah. was like during like mega tabletop times so he's like falling like you know 90 feet out of the air broke his back pretty bad and uh, i remember i was in vermont and came like back home from getting you know ice cream or something like that somebody oh evan rose i think evan rose was there it was like an original sin shoot or something like that and I remember Evan just, like, calling and, and telling us about that. And, like, Evan, I just distinctly remember picking up the phone. Like, hey, Evan, had blah, blah, blah. Had, like, zero idea that this, like, ultra-traumatic injury had happened to my brother. And I bring that up as an example of how we're not connected. <laughs> you did, yeah, you didn't get the psychic. <laughs> Something happened. To yeah, like, oh, my twin. Yeah, it would be <laughs> awesome. But I think if there was a psychic connection, that would have been when it happened. Mm-hmm. He would have reached out in the forest to you. Yeah, and said... Stop eating your ice cream. Go home. Please help and me. Call, yeah, call Evan. <laughs> so going, growing up, I know I grew up doing Green Mountain Series. I think Bud's grew I up did doing too. Green Mountain Series. Oh, and yeah. I know that you are a Green Mountain Series. Yeah. How, was the Green Mountain Series still going, Chris, when you were? Yeah, USASA, Green Mountain, yep. Yeah. yeah, wow. And then was the New England Cup still happening? No New England Cup, no. But did you do those? I Me? only did the Green Mountain Series. Yeah. Yeah, we did the Green Mountain Series, New England Cup. And uh, the drill was, well, it wasn't a drill. Everything was being made up. So to call up snowboarding a drill back then is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you would do, if you wanted to go and see, like, the other 12 snowboarders in New Hampshire or the other 12 snowboarders in Maine, is you do the Green Mountain Series. Or the New England Cup was coming up, too. But the New England Cup, like, remember, like, Todd Richards and the Swedes, you know, like those guys, um, brushy like was kind of graduating from the new England cup. Like that was like, I don't know why I don't, I, you know, that was more competitive and that's where like the dudes, like some older guys were, but yeah, we did the green mountain series and I guess Jesse wasn't doing that because I, I was in the 12 and under division and there was only three of us. So Jesse wasn't there. There's was only three. There was uh Zach diamond and Ross powers and myself. Wow. And heavy, heavy line, yeah, heavy lineup. Yeah. Heavy lineup, and uh, the stakes were super low because every <laughs> contest you go to, you're placing top three. So, it's so like, you're, yeah, your podium. Got a podium. Time. Yeah, it was a good confidence builder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, which contest you go to, you're gonna like get a medal, maybe win. They're like smart food. I had like sponsored them. I had like boxes of smart food. I used to bring all these like smart food snacks to school. You know, as kind of a hero there You're kind of a man <laughs> yeah man. lucas got, do you know have you met lucas he's he's got the smart food yeah. plug and yeah. all these medals too yeah. he's got medals yeah. podium for days every monday he'd come in he'd be uh, like have his own <laughs> i won that's my my mom didn't pack my lunch i won my smart food <laughs> <laughs> that's sick and then shortly you know after i know that you ended up getting on original sin which i thought was a sick brand when i was a kid like i was i loved original sin yeah they were super cool, um, and especially in hindsight, too, you know, like, now that we're, like, older, and it seems like there's also more room in snowboarding for, like, 
what would be called the fine arts, <laughs> you know, like, like creativity. Um, and yeah, they were our first sponsor that that's another like connected to Jesse experience. Um, Dan Sullivan, who was like the, the regional rep. And this is when we snowboarded at Sugarbush. I remember he, he gave us a snowboard to share. That was like our first sponsorship move. And, um, it was really, it was big, you know, it was like a, like a 150 and we were like 12, you know, so it was like well above our heads. And, uh, I get, I don't, I wish I could remember like how we like, you know, evenly distributed yeah, that ride, like riding that board. Right <laughs> yeah. Cause that's another thing about being a twin is like everything kind of needs to be fair. I will say that being a twin has kind of like raised me with a real awareness, maybe a hyper awareness of, um, fairness <laughs> i can see that yeah <laughs> you know? uh, i'll have to ask jess like to, to figure out somehow but i don't know if like he wrote it on saturdays and, and then i wrote it on sundays but we um, shared this board and what i do remember is that it was just like the coolest thing you know and this like snowboard in our house was like a bible you know it was like this sacred object <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. it was a free snowboard mm-hmm. but then yeah, pretty quickly kind of like moved into just normal sponsorship. <laughs> you know, like we had a board, one for one for an equal. One for each of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, an equal sponsorship. I guess we called them out. We said, this isn't fair. Yeah, this is not cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're it's getting two for a, one. That's a yeah, good deal for Osin, though. Make you guys fight over it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind we'll of a rough them one. They'll, yeah. they'll be Lord of the fr- Flies yeah, vibe over there. Whoever ends up with the board is yeah. going to be the sponsored rider. Yeah. She both made it. Yeah, and then we were both like in our ad, you know, we were like, I think the first dad might have even said like snowboard twins or something, uh, but they were a really cool company and they, um, cause you know, they had, uh, Herb George was in the one person there, you know, um, which means he's the creative director slash team manager slash pro writer as well, like slash everything. And, um, he had like, you know, a, an attraction to like the New York arts scene and so the the graphics would be, you know, what was back then, you know, like in the early 90s, just like New York City up and coming artists, but who have now, you know, gone on to have like legit, you know, like fine art careers. And, um, and they were like a part of, like, I remember they skated a lot too. everyone on, on OSIN, like skateboarded a lot. And it was pretty clear that they were like trying to build a snowboard team to be like a skateboard team before any other, you know, like snowboard company kind of caught wind to that formula and so they would just like you know so the 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 artist would be like up in burlington you know the the company was actually from colchester but everyone who was who ran the company also went to uvm you know so like so there was a lot of interesting stuff going on in burlington and jesse and i were like 16 at the time and i remember in particular taking like a van trip um we made a movie called cinderella which did you, did you ever hear? Yep. Yeah, like cult, deep, dark, cult, classic. Um, <laughs> deep, dark. It's had, in the depths. Had you heard of Cinderella? I've, no, I've never heard of it. Oh, man. the It actually is up on uh, the East Street Archives. You guys are familiar with? We'll put it in the but, show notes. We'll find it. Yeah. Uh, the video is like, I actually just watched it for the first time in a long time because it, it just got digitized and had forgotten that of the, like, 24 minutes of video there's six minutes of snowboarding and and the, the rest of it is like uh we all got into an rv this is this is 
my brother and I are 16 at the time. Uh, my parents um, were somehow let us go and do this, get in an RV with the, with the rest of the original sin team, which are like, you know, skate party animals slash college students from UVM drive to Colorado by way of New York. And it's like that stop on the video too. I'm like, Oh yeah. We like stopped in Chicago to like skate a ledge on the way to Colorado and then got to Colorado mind blowing snowboarding, you know, cause it was like 16 and, um, Ali was there. Ali was like the, the raddest, you know, OSIN rider at the time. He was my roommate at the time. I remember you guys coming out. Oh yeah, we actually shared a bed back in that time. And you guys, <laughs> I remember you guys came in, coming out in the van. Yeah, yeah, St- just like a crazy stinky van, like beer farts. There's like beer. spray painted or marker on the outside of it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you heard about this? Uh, I got some intel from uh, your brother on that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And um, it was pretty eye opening as far as like what people in their 20s do <laughs> you know like what <laughs> and i had a pretty insane like mind-blowing just experience snowboarding coming from vermont you know like uh the highest mountain is still it's like 4,500 feet and then going to Vail, which i don't know like starts at 7,000 feet yeah something like this you know and then driving back and on the way back we ha- of course had to like go through texas to like skate another ledge there and then go and then and this stuff is like seared in my memory and then we park the, and then we make it to to outside the max fish in new york city on the lower east side which um you know is like a skate haven and an artist haven and we like just parked the rv out there all night long and we just slept there which and now in hindsight as a person who lived in new york city i was like well that's dangerous <laughs> <You> <laughs> and then somehow yeah like made it back well this kind of ties in perfectly with a guest question from Ollie, here we go. Nice. What's up, Lucas? Grand Diesel, Eastone, Bombhole listeners, greetings. Lucas, super hyped on your progression in life. Can't wait for this episode to come out and take it all in. Um, two questions. One, what was the Clearwater Sports team? And question two, what was it like growing up riding Sugarbush Resort as a Grom? Can't wait to hear about it. You guys be well. Yeah, buddy. Oh man. Nice ones, Ali. The um rewinding. So Clearwater was a small shop in Waitsfield on the way to Sugarbush and was like one of the first shops in the area to carry snowboards, you know, like along with their like kayaks and and, and windsurf stuff. And they uh also too, you know, like these like these stores were so important because they put together a little snowboard team and would like drive us to the, to the green mountain series contests. And as part of being on their uh, team, you got a Bula headband and that was the other sacred item <laughs> in our house. <laughs> we had like the share snowboard mm-hmm. and the Bula headband, you know, like <laughs> on a mantle, just, I would pray to those <laughs> when I got up every day and I had like clear water sports, uh, like stitched into it. Headbands were also like a must-have in <laughs> okay. you know in, in the mid '80s, and so to have someone like give you a headband was to have arrived. Oh yeah, just and and just to be able to say like 
I'm sponsored. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, that's it. This just got feels this. so good. Yeah. Did you guys have to share a headband or uh, they got you each one? It was super big. So we would sit <laughs> next to each other and we would <laughs> wrap it around each other at the same time. And um, my left ear would warm Jesse's right ear. And it was a, kind of like a familiar thing, being <laughs> roommates and all. There it is. There it is. Kind of Siamese, a little bit of a slight Siamese, yeah, Siamese headband action. Headband yeah, action. yeah. That way you don't have to share the snowboard either. Yeah, that's perfect. But And then growing up on, you know, like being a Grom riding Sugarbush, I think there's like kind of like two elements to that. One is just being like a small person on a mountain and fucking awesome, you know, just like shredding everything you know like every tree it's kind of like an east coast uh, actually i don't know i mean i if there's an east coast mentality or not but there's like you just shred everything trees rocks curbs like into the woods to like go over the the like rock that's there and hit the stump on the way back because that's like that's all there is you know like terrain wise Mm -hmm. so shredding everything but then i mean when i think of grom i think of the like place on the totem pole you know and uh i was you know many years i would be like in middle school and going to snowboard with like ali and seth and seth and um jason king and eric kurth you know there was like these guys that were in high school that um were also when i think back about on the i mean i must have been like just an annoying little eighth grader and i know now too when you know that age differences uh feel like a lot when when you're in like high school but they were, like, so nice and, and took me in, you know, and would also, like, haze me. You know, there was, like, being a Grom, because I, th- I think what he's talking about is, like, you know, being a Grom in that, like, crew of snowboarders, um, which, like, you know, they're all Vermont high schoolers, so it's probably better than being a Grom at, like, uh, Hunter Mountain or something mm-hmm. <laughs> like this, yeah. you know. So they were super nice, but I give Neary, actually, whenever I talk to Neary, I bring this up as well, but they... He says he only did this a couple of times, but in my memory, every time my mom would pack me a lunch, they would be like, what's in your lunchbox? And then like eat my, eat the lunch that my <laughs> mom packed me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Classic. Dude, I want to touch on what you were just talking about there with the East Coast style riding, because I grew up riding a lot of the mountains in Vermont, as did Buds. And uh, it's almost like every little undulation in the snow is like a feature. You know, you're like everything, you know, I notice sometimes as you move out west, a lot of times it's like A to B, we're going from the chairlift to the park and we're pretty much going straight if you're riding park. Whereas, uh, quote, you know, air quotes, East Coast style, I would describe it as like little side hits on the way, hitting a log, hitting everything the whole way down because the mountain's so shitty. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were like uh, really scoring if you could... um, hit what we called whales, you know, like the, the snow gun, those mm. like big, like, uh, snow mounds that the snow guns had, had left. Or you'd hear that like, dude, there's some whales on that closed trail, you know, and you would go over and like shred those. Cause this, this is all like pre park, but yeah, you're right. And, and when I talk about like progression with my brother, you know, doing like front side three sixties, that's like off a of mogul, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like, and I, I get, I, I, but yeah, but you know, it like makes you a super good turner, Right, because it's also like in between the mogul and in between the tree and the stump. Most times it's icy, mm-hmm. and you gotta like have your edge control together. So, I, I, I mean, I don't, I, you know, I only can speak for myself and legions of other East Coast killer, you know, like riders that have killed it. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I think it does. Like it makes you like your fundamentals get like really good. And, and you know this, Chris, um, like your fundamentals get really good. And it certainly, I know that it, yeah, really like makes you maximize what's in front of you. However, when I then moved out West, um, that was just like, you know, like, holy shit. Like, you know, we graduated high school, um, and then moved like that winter to Jackson hole. And so, and then like, um, <laughs> uh, you know, like went to stay with some other original sin rider and like crashed on their couch for which turned into much too long. Classic. Know? That's just tale as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, yeah. You know, I think back on it, how annoying that must've been for like having for, that was Rob. Rob Duncan, we want to stay to Rob Duncan, who's got, like, a girlfriend and probably, like... Give me tri- yeah. You know, and, like, trying to have a normal life and then, like, not one, but two, like... <laughs> yeah, two of you. Two 19-year-olds show up and they're just frothing and they're like, like, why aren't you going to ride with us today? <laughs> you know? But, around this... Or, sorry to interrupt you, but around this time, uh, I talked to George Kleckner and he mentioned... Like when he rode with you when you first moved out west, you set some goal, and maybe this is baloney, maybe it's not, but where you would try to scare yourself every day. Yeah. Well, so this is exactly what I was about to uh, mention. Yeah. Is that so that first year we moved to Jackson Hole? Jackson Hole's like the steepest resort in North America, coming from Sugarbush and Mount Mansfield, the unsteepest resort. The flattest place <laughs> on the earth. The flattest, I see. Well, not true. You know, the last. 12 years I've been living in New York. Um, Mountain Creek has been my home mountain, which is much flatter. Um, but we go out there, and I just remember, you know, following Rob around and some other, like, Jackson Hole lokes. And every day we rode, you'd be like, well, you can't do that on this. And, you know, we'd roll up to, you know, bushwhack through the trees, and you roll up, and there's, like, uh, some, like, super sketchy, like, pillow line. And we roll up there, and we're like, well, you can't do that, you know, and, and then... Rob just like sends it and does it. And there's like a pit in your stomach when you're like, oh, you can do that, you know? <laughs> and then sure enough, you go and do it. And it was like, almost like every day we were like in these like super like adrenalized, you know, like situations. And every day we were like, Oh, this is possible. That's possible. Blah, 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 blah. And, um, yeah, man, when I think back on it now, I'm just like, oh, I'm getting nervous, you know, like just thinking about it. The progression that happened in my writing, you know, like alone in that one year, I mean, there wasn't a lot of like landing stuff going on, but there was a lot of like mind opening stuff about what is like physically possible if you could land, you know, on, on your snowboard. And then also too, I did get like George is onto something, you know, I got kind of like in tune with like when something's going, when something scares you, something's going down that like is at the limits of what you can do on your snowboard and then sadistic you know sadistically <laughs> i kind of like <laughs> somehow you know in my mind i got it as like a as a guide map that um when you like feel that fear you know like that pit in your stomach like that adrenaline that some shit's about to go down yeah you know? and i guess you know like thinking back on it now you know like as what I was doing got like bigger and bigger, you know, you, you kind of, when you're actually in that situation, 
gets like gnarlier and gnarlier, you know? <sighs> yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of actually like served me pretty well, but to like go out of your way. So you're, say you're in the, in the Canadian backcountry, right. And you're looking at like a big face and you're kind of getting up there. We're always like cruising around. You're not just like looking at stuff from the bottom and being like, yeah, okay, well I'm going to go up and do that. You know, you're kind of like poking around seeing stuff and like looking at features and some features you can like, just, you know, see the landing right there and you're like, well, yeah, you know, that'll be okay. And then some features have something to them where you're like, this would be pretty scary to hit. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be like, this is the one I'm going to hit. You know, what's interesting when I think about your, when I think of your career, like you as a snowboarder, I picture like, a, you know, like an old whitey type of frame where it's like you're coming down the hill, kind of zoomed out, and you're hitting like some type of pat down wedge and you're going further than everybody like in the tracks and you're like known for like going huge hitting the biggest stuff. And, uh, when we were talking on the phone last night, kind of before your interview, you mentioned you, you, uh, were watching, you would watch like some certain skate videos to get you hyped. And it kind of made sense with the way that you were, you go fucking huge on all the shit you're hitting. Yeah. Yeah. The, cause that was like right when, you know, the zero videos were coming out, the whole, you know, zero like all zero videos during that time for sure. But then if you'd only, you know, had 10 minutes in the morning, you'd like fast forward to Jamie Thomas's part. Um, and then uh, Heath Kirchart too, you know, like, but he also too had like a, a, like a, like the stuff he was doing was, obvi- you know, was like crazy and you'd watch it and you'd be like, that's sick. But there's also something about his like style and, and like, and like how he was doing it. And like that really resonated with me. But I feel like, yeah, yeah, it was like watching those, you know, like skate videos like in the morning or like the night before too, you know, like, you know, you're going to go do something tomorrow. I would like, yeah, watch like the zero video and and uh, I guess the birdhouse videos must have been coming out then too because I remember Keith just being like, that's who I want to be on a snowboard. Mm-hmm. And then going back to what you were just talking about, like, all right, if I see something and it scares me, like, that's that's what I want to do. Like, I think that's kind of a fascinating thing because when you, you think about it, like, I, I'm just curious as, like, you watch yourself going in, everybody else must be taking speed checks. You look like you don't weigh a lot. Like, you know, normally <laughs> the guy that doesn't weigh a lot has to start way higher to go bigger. And and so I'm like, is he just is he just going dead straight into the, into the wedge or what's going on there, you know? Well, there's a couple things there. One is that, right, so you've had a session, and, like, the the landings that are left are going to be way down there, you know. So if you want to land something, you're going to have to, like, go past the bomb hole, right? Just keep driving past the bomb hole. And um, so there's, like, some motivation, you know, like, there. And then we did, like, a lot of step-downs, too, you know, like, a lot of the stuff where, like, it's, like, really visible, you know, like, where the tracks are is like step down situation and in a lot of step downs the like the difference you know in going 20 feet past the landing when you come in is actually not you know it's like hiking up maybe a foot farther or just like doing one less speed check you know and then you just kind of like go down there around that time you also were kind of just getting your foot in the door i I think you got a couple clips in in some whitey videos but the the climate of these videos it's like 16 millimeter it's like you know you gotta the only way you're getting in this video 
is it needs to be a fucking banger, you know? And that's not what it's like today. Today's like, I'm going to go get some shit and put on my gram and then maybe I'll get sponsored. You know, where then it's like, if I want to, if I want to make it, I'm going to the fucking, I got to do some, some psycho stuff, right? Different, different mentality. Yeah, there certainly was, you know, and, and at that age, you know, I was like 19, 20 and to, you know, like prove it to the crew too, you know, like it certainly felt that way. Yeah. Is it that you had to like walk away from the session being the dude who went the biggest? Yeah. <laughs> you know, hundred percent. And I will say too, I mean, I remember like, you know, filming with the, the, the whitey crew was like really socially intimidating to me, you know, cause those guys like, they were badass. They were like truly punk rock, you know? And I mean, to, to, you know, I grew up as like a nerd, you know, like, so I grew up, I like <laughs> snowboarded. Love and, that. You know, like I, I've, I've snowboarded my face off, but, but I also like, I played lacrosse, you know, I played soccer. I didn't hang out with snowboarders. I hung out with all these kids that like went to college and like my just kind of like threshold for, bullshitting and drinking and like doing drugs was like very low and and for just like being funny you know because those dudes like you'd go i mean i remember more you know with whitey just like the atmosphere you know like at the top of a jump and like j2 is there you know who is you just can't compete with like his like sociability very then, witty dude huh? yeah, banter, very, he's a banter yeah, god. he's a banter god oh man yeah and then him and whitey who had like such a good you know like shared experience as well they're and, best friends yeah best sure. friends and they're like relation you know and and ali and then you know and merriman you know to mm-hmm. like a couple sessions where like but the like uh the substance of like their relationship was like just ripping each other apart you know and me just being like you know like i'm so scared of these guys you know (laughs) and uh, honestly i would have i'm thinking about it now you know like more anxiety that they would just be like you're a fucking tool than um (laughs) the jump (laughs) (laughs) you'd rather just go huge on the jump yeah so like uh there was certainly like in like uh emotionally like unhealthy part of you know being in that crew which forced me to just kind of like go interior on my snowboarding and make my snowboard talk, you know, like my snowboarding talk. And then also too, you know, like whitey, um, like in between all the parts, there was lots of stuff where like these guys is like off snowboard character would come through. And to like have a like kick-ass part in a, in a whitey film and Mikey too, you know, Mikey also had like a great personality, you know, and like character off snow is that to have like a kick-ass part, you needed to be like, an entertaining person, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I was pretty boring. And so, <laughs> like, it's it was definitely during those, you know, during the Whitey era, I was like, well, I'm going to be the guy who's, like, really good at snowboarding in the movie. <laughs> 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 you know? And, yeah, I remember actually being in, like, an edit session, and he's, like, cutting together his, like, interstitial stuff, his, like, transitions, and them just being like, why don't you ever say anything funny? <laughs> <You know>? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. It was some, something to that, to that, tune, to that degree, <laughs> to, to the degree where I was like really aware that like I wasn't doing anything, you know, I wasn't like a personality on camera. And, um, 
but that also became like kind of my thing. I was like, well, I'm just going to be a kick-ass snowboarder. And luckily, you know, like in snowboarding, that's what you need to do. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> if you want to be a pro snowboarder, being good at snowboarding yeah. is a J- good component J2 for that. was like more personality <laughs> yeah, than anything definitely. else. Yeah, yeah. And Whitey was pretty like, he was intense to be around. Like he picked people he wanted to be around based on who he wanted to shoot and all that. So you like, yeah. he, was, he was intense. Yeah, I also too. I mean, like the caveat is that I was like super insecure about, you know, my place in snowboarding and I was like 20. And when you're like 20, you're insecure whether you're at college or walking down the street, yeah. you know? Um, and then to be in like uh, that, like crew exasperated that, <laughs> you know, but they did, you know, and, and, and again, you know, in hindsight, it's like really fucking cool that like Whitey could do that, you know, and that Whitey could like the, the, the Kingpin crew was like more of a team than the snowboard team, you know? And it was like more of like a culture, you know, and it was more of like what was marketed, and it was super intense, though. Yeah, because those guys all came from, like, legit, you know, like, Whitey came from, like, real punk rock in Washington, D.C., and I came from, like, a super soft and, like, delicate Vermont place. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's just, like, nice in Vermont. They're not, like, dickheads. Yeah. Well, another thing, too, though, you think about everybody has a shtick in snowboarding, you could say, right? And, like, J2s was being fucking hilarious and, like, Hitting, hitting street rails and all that. And then everybody in the crew, you could go down the line with Mikey. But it's like your stick was just like going fucking huge, which is a great stick to yeah. have. You know, yeah. like that's also why well, he needed a good that in the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, his movies were kind of at the time, they were like the shit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, but you know, <laughs> that, that did like uh, kind of like help me. I don't know what you call it, you know, like whether it's like maturing or just kind of like getting in your head, you know, like what, what you want to do in snowboarding. And, um, it wasn't really like by choice, probably if I was like funnier, then I could have like chilled on my snowboarding, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a little bit, but there was like, I mean, I had like a drive to like be as successful as I possibly could in snowboarding. Um, so that was like certainly there. And that's like a part of my personality that persists today is like a certain intensity, you know, that, professional snowboarders have but then in within just like that community I had to do it like a lot you know to like find a way you know like off the cutting floor you know Mm -hmm. and like and like into the films and um yeah yeah I mean I just yeah I mean I certainly remember being like these guys don't want me around so I'm just gonna like snowboard so they have to have me <laughs> good logic <laughs> great logic. i like that i think this is a perfect time to pivot into uh the liquid death spinning wheel of death Woo. now uh buds how many of those liquid d's you put down today i'm at number three right here dog well i think we gotta we're gonna have to sell about seventy thousand of these so we can get matthew mcconaughey, McConaughey uh on the the docket for the lucas huffman film it's gonna be a bomb hole production yeah bomb hole production and uh if you're it's gonna inter- be called lucas's liquid death <laughs> part two <laughs> Uh, they actually just recently made a horror movie. I found out we were supposed oh, yes. to watch it and talk about it when we uh, watch it. But uh, so Liquid Death, if you're interested in picking some up, head on over to liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. Again, liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. You'll get yourself a few koozies. And with that, let's get into the Wheel of Death. Welcome to the Liquid Death. Death, death, death. Spinning Wheel of Death. 
Okay, you explain what's going on, buds. Oh, first, I'm going to preface this with, since you were mentioning nerd, nerdy shit, I uh, just put a bunch of nerdy shit on the liquid desk, spinning wheel of desk. So Am you sp- I allowed to, like, look at it, or is that you, part of the deal? I don't see it. The camera's got to see it. We'll tell oh. you. We'll tell you what you roll, what you hit. Okay, You're going to give it a good old spin so it spins around nice. Like this? Oh. There you go. It okay. just, math problems. Math problems. <laughs> Those are problems for me. Okay, we landed on math problems, but uh, we tried those, and it was a horrible failure, so we're going with spelling bee. <laughs> All three of us couldn't yeah. figure out the first one. I blanked. So, so we're just cutting right to spelling bee. Um, okay, first, yes, Y-E-S. first word is going to be for Lucas, and it's intelligible. Intelligible. I-N-T-E-L-L-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-N-
O-U-S. So I think one, we're... One letter off. So hey, Bud says... You can't please everybody. No. Right? <laughs> That's the thing about spelling. Yeah. You, you can't please everybody. <laughs> you can't please everybody with how you spell it. <laughs> All right. Well... True. The last one we're going to ask for, um, Lucas, is Pharaoh. Oh, the fields lay Pharaoh. F-A-R-R-O-W. No, no, no. Incorrect. Oh, pharaoh? Uh, like, no, like uh, an put Egyptian, a pharaoh in Egyptian a sarcophagus. sarcophagus. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The... Um, diabolical pharaoh came up from his sarcophagus uh or pharaoh monch pharaoh monch the rapper p-h-a-r-a-o-h wow wow i think that's a draw i believe right two and two win loser draw we're gonna call everybody wins here at the bumble it's kind, nice. of, a, kind of a feel-good event yeah so can't That's wait great. to do the push-ups, though. Right. Yeah, we were going to do, do a push-up contest, physical no, challenge. No, you and I are going to do a push-up <laughs> contest. On the table or what? On the table? You guys want to do an aging contest? We'll just sit here and see who ages the less. <laughs> You're going to win. <laughs> yeah, it's already going to win. <laughs> I don't know. we got to get his, his uh, skincare routine. All right, let's dive back into uh, kind of some boarding stuff. Because I know you ended up, you know, fast forward, you, you, filmed, you, you got in with the Kingpin guys. And then you got, and this is probably out of order, but... I know getting on Nitro was huge for you. Yeah, shortly after high school, um, Osin folded, and uh, and then Seth Neary, who uh, had eaten my lunch my mom packed, um, you know, he was like the big dog on Nitro, and he got us on there. It was just like, you know, one of the phone calls where he's like, would you like to ride for Nitro with Seth and Seth and I? And... Um, it's like, a, when I think about it now, you know, like full circle, you know, it's like uh, the, the, the people that you, you know, grew up with, that they're always looking out for you. To total side note, um, he actually hires me now. He's got like a pretty kick-ass uh, agency, Driven Studio, um, shout outs to them. And uh, I like do filmmaking work with him now. And he's, he's still, you know, he's the one who makes the call. I don't call him. He calls me. He says, hey, you know, you want to do this project with me? He's in um, out of Vermont doing that? Yeah, in Burlington. That's it's so like, cool. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he got me on Nitro, and then I stayed with them, you know, for my entire career. And I got so lucky there, you know, when I had seen also, too, like snowboarders and, and their relationships with their sponsors. And, you know, it truly is like a relationship. There's, like, people at the brand, and they have personalities and, and interests, and, and also, you know, like, thoughts for what they want to do with the brand. And, like... um where the brand is, you know, in their maturity and then snowboarders and, and snowboarders personalities and kind of like where they are in their like career maturity. And, um, nitro was a, you know, like at that time, a legacy at that time, it's, that's like a bit over the top, you know, but they had been around since the beginning in Europe and were uh, making like a marketing push in the U S. Um, and I was kind of like, a part of that, you know, uh, and, and so that like was also really lucky in that there was, there weren't like a super well-established um, board company, like super cool, you know. They're kind of like, Euro kooky a little bit. At they, time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They were like Euro kooky. Trying to think like at that time too, there was like, maybe like M3 was just starting, you know, so you compare it to like an M3, which is just like cool out of the box. And, you know, me and, and the, I was also kooky. So there was that element. I certainly <laughs> didn't feel like, you know, like if I had been on M3, I would have felt stressed out again, you know, that I was like the darkiest dude in the van. 
but I was certainly one of the coolest guys on the night. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like a softball for me, um, socially. And then the boards were kick at, and it was not, that was another thing. Actually, now I'm th- I'm seeing some kind of parallels, you know, like on the fly here, but the product was awesome, you know, and it, it felt similarly, I guess, you know, like to me, which is like my product was snowboarding and being the best snowboarder I can be. And the f- packaging was uh, rough around the edges, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and nitro was like the same. So, it, and, um, so it was like a pretty good, you know, match like from the beginning. And then they like really stood behind me through the whole thing, you know, and, um, as like my career matured, uh, their brand also, you know, like matured, the board stayed the same. That's like the thing, you know, it's like, you got to have the product to, to be in it for the long run, you know, and then like the marketing magic and, and all the stuff, which it is around snowboarding and is around snowboard industry. Cause at the end of the day, it's like a big marketing exercise that stuff, you know, comes and goes and it's so hard too. Cause like tastes come and go and we've seen it, it's an endless cycle, right. Of like, what's cool and what's not cool. What's cool. It's not cool. And, um, so I was a part of nitro becoming cool. is such a bad word too, you know, <laughs> cause like to, for, for me to say uh, I was part of Nitro becoming, like, cool. Everyone knows what that means, but just for the record, like, uh, that seems, like, really, like, vapid, you know? <laughs> like, there's, like, actually not much um, real value in that. But anyway, that's an aside. Um, I will, I'm going to interrupt you, though, and say, you know, speaking with Tanino, doing my notes, those were his exact words. Like, Ni- Nitro was kind of Euro kooky, and Lucas was a huge part of making the brand cool and why people like Austin Smith and Brian Fox and like the next wave of generation were like, okay to ride with it. He gave, he gave an example that like when he got the job as a team manager at Nitro, he tried to get Whitlake on and stuff. And he's like, nah, dude, they offered him a boatload of money. They're like, I'm good. Nitro is not cool. You know? So that's kind of, now it's a really cool brand, you know? And so that you, you know, you, it's probably weird for you to say that, but other people did say that for you. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, I certainly, like, felt like respect would be a word that I'm more comfortable with throwing around, you know, mm-hmm. as, like, respected. Mm-hmm. And and I do love that, like, snowboarding has a lot of, like, aesthetics involved, you know, like, ads. That's, like, art, you know, and, like, just person at crafting kind of, like, team culture, you know, like, I respect that. So, yeah, and, and Nitro, you know, kind of, like, came online in America, you know, like, at the same time that I was. And... They, what was, you know, really, like, kind of, I, I mean, I'll say it, like, empowering <laughs> as, like, a, as, like, a dude who's, like, 23, um, who, and I've always had, like, a creative instinct, you know, like, there's, like, the snowboarding, but um, they, uh, so Mike Dawson was, like, their, like, creative director, you know, and he was just, like, to me, you know, like, a art god, you know, and, and, and the graphics, I guess the big part of becoming respected slash cool is your board graphics right and your ads and um and he was behind that and um and the the graphics and the the aesthetics of it were like also like just in line with like stuff that was like authentically like really exciting for me you know so like it wasn't like i had to like wear some baggy pants and do like some m3 sort of things um i was just like oh 
Mike's like my dude, you know, like him and I can like bro out and we can look at art books and we've got like just like the same aesthetic values. And and what was crazy is we go to like these design meetings in this like little house, you know, like out in like Redmond, Washington. And there was Sheen. So Sheen Campos, you know, w- was on the team at the time. And um, he was Canadian, you know, and like like living in Canada and being like getting into like the Canadian scene was also just a big thing, you know, as, as far as my experience goes. And we'd all like sit in the room and he'd like have all these board mock-ups, you know, have you guys ever been in those meetings? Oh yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like as a fan of snowboard, just industry stuff, you know, I'd be like, Oh, you know, these are going to be like the boards next year, you know, like so <laughs> cool, you know, like, and I'm seeing them now. And then he would be like, well, which ones do you like? You know? And like, he created, and I got to give him credit too, like they created an environment where I felt like really comfortable just being like myself and like making like what are like actually like creative choices, you know, like like with Mike. And then we would get to like choose all the stuff. And then eventually as I got like my pro model, I mean, as you, I, th- I think one of the cool things about getting a pro model is you can like kind of determine what's on your graphics, <laughs> which for better or for worse from like a sales point of view yep exactly <laughs> um but it like was really you know like uh, a a like a, a really great experience for like a young person like me who would, who would then go on to have like a, a creative career you know they'd be like oh shit like these people are like taking me seriously and you know i mean i'll just reiterate like at that time when you're in like your early 20s a lot of my friends you know were at college and and they're doing academic exercises and then this and that but these were like things that would then show up in like a catalog and i'd go to like a store the next year and be like oh yeah i got to like choose those graphics you know and it it was like uh, they gave us like the writers you know like a lot of just kind of like power and and say which was something that you know when i think back on it now like really kind of like instilled in me like a confidence too just to be like oh i could like do things that make like a a real change Mm -hmm. And even even more so too, when you look at a, a kid in his early twenties and you're you're kind of struggling to fit in. Like as I was hearing you talking, you're kinda like, I don't know if I fit in with the whitey crew and and like you're just kinda like looking for some validation and appreciation and, and all of a sudden you're with the, the this brand that like makes you feel a part of something and you you have input and it makes you that much more hyped to be a part of like a you know, family or a brand like, like Nitro and then have that lifelong career. It's that's, that's a probably a special moment as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So shortly after that, you know, I got picked up by Northwave and Drake and and they were, you know, like really uh, instrumental in my career, you know, and, and having faith in me as a writer and then putting resources in me as a writer and they too. So they were run by Italians you guys, I'm not sure how much backstory, you know, but yeah. Just explain it to the people that don't know though. Yeah. So like, uh, Northwave was also like an older boot company that was Euro cookie. Right. And the, the licensing of it had been, um, purchased by Gumby. Who's like, you know, just the, the board sports marketing guru. He, you know, know, he, he did vision streetswear. Did you guys know that? I didn't know that. No. Yeah. So like VSM, Mm -hmm. VSW, um, that like uh, he had done that you think (laughs) (laughs) the uh so they had like you know they were doing like basically the same thing which was like bringing this super kick-ass product they were the best boots like the 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 product was like the best in the world bringing them 
and, and putting them into like the U.S. kind of marketing machine. Um, but part of writing for those brands is that, you know, multiple times a year, you'd go like over to Europe and you'd like hang out with the European snowboard community. And I remember at a time, like a lot of American snowboarders would be like, oh, I got to go to Europe and Europe is full of kooks, right? Like how fucked up is that? If someone's like, hey, like you guys want to go to Europe on a free snowboard trip? And then people being like, that's not cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> someone called me today and I was like, do you want to go to Europe on a snowboard trip? I'm like, sign me up. I'll be a 100% kook the whole time. <laughs> yeah. But I had like also too, that was like part of it, you know, that allowed me, I think, to really like just get along okay on those brands is that I wanted to go to Europe and like see the world and had a like personality that got along with the Europeans. You didn't have the cool guy factor that yeah. got it down. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. It's like so weird to say that out loud. I don't know if that's like still a thing now. Cause it looks like snowboarding's pretty like international now. Mm -hmm. There's not a, there's not a big like Euro kooky thing that is, they don't, it's not, it's not like that anymore. I don't right. Think. Yeah. Like <clears throat> Europeans are born cool now. Yeah. You know, and like Europeans are born cool. Now. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. They're cooler. They're born cooler than us. <laughs> And I, you know, like deep thought, you know, maybe it has something to do more with like the globalization of like the media of the world, mm -hmm. um, than in what we're talking about, which is like, you know, the late nineties, like early 2000, when it was really just snowboard magazines, like what you knew about, this is before the internet, right? So before what you knew about European snowboarders came from like a picture of like Max Perot doing like a power carve in Zerbia, you know? And that was part of the Nitro thing is like, I loved going there and I loved like just meeting new people and having like new experiences. And I mean, to this day, I think this is actually why I'm do okay as a film director is that it's about like making a lot of different personalities feel comfortable and just like showing up to places with openness. Um, and that, uh, that like, so that I could be, you know, like I, I loved going on like the team trips, you know, a, a nitro team trip means that you're with, you know, like Sheen and I and, and Mark Riley. Right. And, uh, and then like a whole bunch of other Europeans and like they're approaching life differently, you know, and, and I thought that was cool. And the same thing with Northwave, you know, is like we would go over and do a fair amount of like sales meetings or the photo shoots would be over there. Like you'd be over there and like, I got along well with like the European writers and like the European bosses, you know, like getting along with the boss helps. And then just being in the right place where back in, in America, both, you know, all those companies kind of had like the right people uh, doing the right things in their marketing departments, department being like one person in like a house with like a computer. What, that person so maybe being George Kleckner as well is a part of that is a big part of that. Yeah. Well, actually Northwave and Drake, they had a whole building. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> the nitro was, you know, that was Mike Dawson in a house with like a yeah. early iMac. Mm -hmm. um, but Northwave somehow started with like a big ass warehouse and a cool building in Seattle and an entire staff but then George, you know, making like a lot of choices about the team and, and the culture of the team, you know, and, and who he's bringing on. And a team manager is kind of like curating the team. So it's up to them. You know, it's like the stuff that you're interested to, you know, that you guys are interested in is, is what the podcast is. You know, that's natural to you guys. You know, like the team manager is like 
the riding that they're interested in, that's on the team. And going going back to that that shift, I mean, I, I was the that shift of like North Wave and Drake being cool. I was that demographic as a kid of like that exact change because I remember vividly. You know, I had the red and yellow Drakes, and I was so hyped on them. And yeah, like you know, the McDonald's, yeah, style. the McDonald's yeah. style, and I, I loved them. Those. And then the the Mikey LeBlanc Drakes shortly after, and. And so, like, it's just interesting talking to George, you know, and, and you being a big part of that as well. Like, kind of, it was, like, just right at me. You know, I was yeah. the consumer of that exact product. Yeah. Uh, that and shit then Gumby was and cool. George went on to do C3, so it's, mm-hmm. they obviously knew what they were doing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Gu- North Wave was, like, one, like, train stop along the way of Gumby's, like, cool express train. I mean, <laughs> he, I, I, I remember just kind of learning about him. You know, and I was like an action sports geek, you know, so like kind of learning like, oh, you know, you did vision streetswear. I mean, I had the shorts, you know, Mm -hmm. and being like, you're the fucking dude who like invented that little square, you know, and then seeing everything that they were doing at like Northwave and Drake. And it's just like good decision after good decision. So like C3 is like another, you know, walk in the park (laughs) for those guys. They're, They're like super good at what they do yeah they just absolutely and they hone their skills as they go and get better and better yeah yeah and johan right like so yeah, johan, johan was part of that another scary snowboard guy <laughs> best salesman in snowboarding right there so while you're while you're talking about all this uh you know kind of traveling and wild trips uh i have a guest question from a legend named tonino copine who was the nitro team manager a previous rider previous to that around this time and uh, he had a specific question about some of your travels here. Here we go. Hey, Luke. This is Tonino. So hyped you're on the bomb hole. I was wondering if you could elaborate on some of your and Marco's rap battles in Japan. Hope all is well. Hope you guys have fun. Thanks. Bye. Yes. That's what we should have done. We should have done Wheel of Death freestyle. Oof. Buds, yeah, he'll fire one up. Dang, and we could have, yeah, we could have had some. Like, you and Marco beats. used to freestyle. Yeah, the. Uh, I take it you weren't the nervous little kid anymore, huh? You're in there battling MFM. Yeah, well, you know, Marco and I got along like really well because I mean, Marco also is like an outsider in snowboarding. He's like, you know, one of the handful of snowboarders of color who like certainly came from I think a lot of of different background than mm-hmm. like upper middle class white folks, whether you're a punk rocker from DC or, you know, a gentle person from Vermont or a asshole from Massachusetts. Well said. But yeah, we would go like, I remember in Japan, I mean, it helps to have like a lot of beers going, mm-hmm. um, but we'd be in Japan everywhere we went, man, we would just like, we have rap battle rhyme, like off the cuff, you know, and, and get into it. And I remember, I, yeah, MFM and I got along really well. And in this one particular time, I had some shoes. They actually look a lot like those are like the Osiris's back there. Those are Eastone's DVS's, Eastone some Pre- big Pro old, model right there. big old puffy DVS's. Yeah. So I remember one time in the early two thousands, um, I had these shoes. You know, that looked a lot like that, but they were also like hiking boots. But they were like some off-brand shoe that I must have gotten at like the mall or something. But there was something about them that like spoke to me, and they were like they were pretty hip hop, I guess, you know. And I remember going on a trip to Japan, and I like walk into the hotel wearing them, and and Mark was wearing the same exact one. <laughs> no way! 
<laughs> and I think he had nothing else to do but just to be like, respect, you know? Like, I'm sure he was like, fuck. <laughs> the nerd is wearing my shoes, <laughs> you know? And he's like, the freshest of fresh. Yeah, you he's know? style master. Yeah, right yeah, there. yeah. But I think, like, after that, I think he was like, this guy's okay. There's either you can go one way or the other. Yeah, either yeah. you can be like, he's okay. We're gonna we're gonna do this. That's but, yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, we we would get, we could get into into pretty good flows. That was really fun. Who who won the battles mainly? Who was the main uh, king of the of Lucas the castle? Is pretty good with words. That was probably yeah, a wordsmith draw right there. Yeah, yeah you're I a wordsmith. No, it's more of like a process. You know, Marco's from the streets. You're a wordsmith. So I mean, it wow, it could pretty, go either way. I yeah, bet. yeah. Kind of like a that was like far side. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to pivot and do another topic here while we're rolling, because um, I know you ended up moving to Whistler, which you know you can get into, which is a very out of character move for a professional snowboarder from the United States. But what I'm concerned about in this in this time frame is like nowadays, like people are very, very like avalanche conscious. Like mm. there's tons and tons of avalanche safety, and I watch you guys like riding all these lines and stuff, and doing you know you're one of the first people to be like riding a line and then tricking off of a feature kind of the early days of like the Blavau Mueller. I mean, it's been, you know, Terry, a lot of people have done it, but you were kind of one of the pioneers of like, I don't want to sit there and shovel a wedge for six hours. Let's fucking pat this fucker down and send her to the bottom type of thing. But uh, uh, that's getting into the weeds. But I was curious about like, did you guys do any like Abby training and stuff back then? We actually did do Abby training, right? Okay. So Canadians are ahead of the curve on all like good decisions. Right. And, um, we and and part of and so like treetop so like the treetop crew was kind of like the first guys that uh were like really like pioneering like getting on a snowmobile and going like way out there and um and they were all you know a lot of them were people that had like grown up in like revelstoke and in like interior british columbia and like pretty rural places so they were like really like big mountain savvy it certainly was not to they weren't taking like risk mitigation you know to the levels of today the way like it should be at the <laughs> at the like the, at the minimum but i remember a big part of kind of being like accepted like into that crew was like knowing that that they could count on me you know and so we would we would dig pits you know so that was like and they also too that was also like they had been around like heli ski operations right so there was also you know heli ski operations happening like up in british columbia and it was like heli ski guides, which were some of the first people to me, you know, this is just my um, introduction into, you know, into backcountry, is that when we'd go on like a, to a cat trip or like a heli trip, they're taking AVI precautions really seriously. Fair enough. You know, there's like paying guests there. You know, it's not like as uh, Wild Westy as like a crew of Canadian snowmobilers. But those guys had all spent some time around there and, and had picked up some stuff. That said, you know... Um, yeah, it's pretty risky, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I just was curious watching, and then you know. Furthermore, I know that like why I moved to Whistler. I got I got a take on why he would go to Whistler. Okay, all my answer is for him. I don't know if it's the reason. Where else is a guy going to be able to go as big as he wants and not That's have to worry about fucking it? Fucking great! Those yeah. landings just go forever. There's no trees. They're steep. They're yeah. uh, they're not flat. It's like, kind of the perfect place for Lucas Huffman to just be Lucas Huffman, dude. And where else can a 19 year old guy buy beer legally? <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, Whistler is kind of a yeah. wonderful place. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I had no. I mean, I went to Whistler <coughs> for the. All my answers are going to come back to like 
people. Whatever. <laughs> so I guess that's you know like that, that's life. That's right a there. great. That's a great yeah. uh, you know thing to highlight. Yeah, yeah. So like uh, we had done the year in Jackson Hole, uh, you know, scared the Jesus out of ourselves. Had spent the spring that spring of ninety. Spent the spring of ninety seven in uh, Utah in Salt Lake. Staying at Whitey's and then also staying with you guys at like the Porn Palace, <laughs> and um, and then the next year, you know, um, and then my brother broke his back, like, so he was out for you know the season. So then it was just me, you know, like, uh, and my friend Toby Park, you know, there were a couple of us that hadn't gone to college. That was like a you know, and consider that that was like a unique thing for like my crew was like not going to college, um, and. Had already, during that, like, first year, I had somehow gone to Tahoe, um, so I kind of, like, knew the options, and I and I also kind of got it that, like, at that time, having a career based out of, like, Jackson Hole, you just didn't see it happening a lot, um, and so it didn't seem like a good place to go for me, you know, and I was, like more intense on the career stuff actually i guess than the average jackson hole person um you know and that's like that's a whole nother thing but like that like sense of wanting to do this like uh professionally you know was was still kind of like made you a little more intense than like a lot of other snowboarders mm-hmm. um i don't know if that like that makes but, sense yeah. yeah you know like like people were just snowboarding and it was like a fun thing to do and like being a professional snowboarder you know, we can get into this. You guys get into it on every single bomb hole. It turns out it's not that fun. Yeah. <laughs> right? takes, yeah. takes the fun so side out of it. It sucks yeah. the fun yeah. right out yeah. of it if yeah. you, if, when you start getting there. But yeah. Yeah. it becomes a job. It's yeah. you got to think differently if you want to be successful. To Tahoe and to Salt Lake City were like the two places you could be an American pro snowboarder or mammoth. I had been to mammoth too, and I was like, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. And then I had never been to Whistler, um, but I'd seen the pictures in the magazines. And, uh, I just, like, I don't even know why I made this decision, but I was like, well, I got to move to Whistler, you know? And there was something, maybe because I'm from Vermont and I'm, like, familiar with Canada and Canadians, and I was like, that seems like a cool place. And it was the treetop videos, actually. The treetop videos, like, at the beginning, they would have, like, these, you know, like, snowmobiles, they have these super wide shots, like, the first wide shots of snowmobilers going up untouched powder ridges, those were in the treetop movies, you know, and I remember just seeing that, and and that was when it looked like the moon, you know, and like people that were familiar with seeing stuff from Canada, like Canadians who were familiar with seeing stuff from Canada, but there still wasn't much like Canadian clips like going into like Mac Dog or White Whitey didn't film up there, so any of like the snowboard films that we were watching, there'd be like a random, you know, like fall line little section, you know, where maybe they're like, we're going to, you know, like Alberta to. To, and, and it's just like a kind of small thing, but then the real shit goes on at like a quarter pipe in Tahoe that I had seen that. And there was like, sounds so cheesy, but it was calling to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the mountains were calling. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and this is like, a, this is so cool how this happened. So this is also like before the internet, before anything, my older brother, Jake Huffman, who just had originally gotten me into snowboarding. He, like a while ago, had dated this woman named Robin who was now married to a guy named Greg Schmidt. And Greg Schmidt was, like, a, uh, in Portland, Oregon. And a, like, oh, gee, he had, like, a few clips in, like, old Mac Dog movie. His cinematographer is now, like, a, a, you know, a DP of feature films. 
I had like gotten a hold of him and he was like, I know a guy named Jeff Corbett who lives in Whistler, give him a call. So I give this guy named Jeff Corbett a call who, who I've never heard of. And uh, this is, you know, I'm like 19 in Vermont in the summertime. And I'm like, why don't I move to Whistler in the next couple of months? And he's like, as soon as I pick up the phone, I think Greg had like told him, he's like, oh, hey, Lucas, yeah. And I, had, I, had, I did have like that like Kingpin Chronicles part had come out. So there was like a few clips and, you know, so it, somehow that made me seem credible to him. And like one of the first things he said was, yeah, you can come and stay on my couch. This is like in Whistler, like a dude I've never met before, you know? And so me and my buddy, Toby, we pack up a Subaru, play Metallica, like driving across the country as fast <laughs> as like a 19-year-old Vermonter can, and uh, and then go and stay at Jeff Corbett's house. And lo and behold, um, all of my instincts about Whistler were for true, <laughs> you know, like you can do, like you can do industry stuff there and you can have a career um, at that time, it really was like a Canadian, it's crazy to think about it, but at that time it was like Canadian writers shooting with Canadian photographers for these little Canadian sections, you know, and people weren't like traveling all back and forth and, and, and there wasn't like just a global snowboard industry. Um, but that suited me. I was like, this is where I want to be, you know, like the something, like I said, just like the, the writing, the potential for the writing was certainly speaking to me and like the just vibes I got from the snowboarders <laughs> were speaking to me in a way that um, the Salt Lake or or Tahoe, you know, I th Tahoe is kind of like in the order. It would be like, I was like, Whistler's the place, if if not Tahoe, but, you know, and then there was like Utah and then Mammoth, just as far as like the energy I got from the community there. And then, yeah, and then, you know, Whistler became, shaped my entire snowboard career. And hanging out with Canadians has like certainly shaped my approach to snowboarding and then um, to life in general. Solid, yes, yeah, solid uh, answer. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I keep touching on this, the fact that you rode all this kind of natural terrain and, and the fact of the matter that what people were generally going out where they're building kind of cheese wedges. I guess they weren't really cheese wedges this time. It was more like a pile of snow. <laughs> like, <laughs> they weren't you know, if you the watch the old videos. They became, there. Uh, but yeah. you did kind of but while while people were doing that, it seemed like you were you were riding lines and, and doing um, you know, cab five forties off of natural features and things like that. And, and I guess well I'm just curious as to like, you know, there wasn't weren't a lot of people doing that, at least from from what I saw at that time. What was the motivation or where did you get the inspiration to do that type of stuff yeah well that um i mean i have a like a, a really distinct memory actually of driving in a car on like a snowboard trip with Derek catella and it was like one of my like first couple years in whistler where i also had to like kind of like break in i just like felt insecure for <laughs> for a couple years you know and like i remember being with like devin Walsh on that trip and 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 that's intimidating as fuck right mm -hmm. um but it's funny like I, I actually remember this this is another moment that probably will never happen again in my life you know where I'm gonna have like such a clear view of of something that um is kind of like a big deal to me but so at that time there was yeah there was a lot of kickers you know so like uh we would come I would come down to Utah and we'd you know, and, and in the Whitey movies, you know, there was like JP and and Mikey and Jeremy and Timmy, you know, and we built kickers, right? And and it was it still was a build. 
maybe like an hour, yeah. you know, <laughs> have lunch and then hit the kicker and like you're doing tricks and it's a kicker. And then I'd go back to Canada and I'd be riding with guys like Sheen and Jonathan Moore and these guys that like grew up in the mountains and just their like base approach to the mountains was like free ride, you know, and somehow and, and, and the kicker dudes, you know, like just didn't have like the interest in doing, you know, like riding top to bottom, doing like a couple turns because it wasn't cool. And I don't, maybe it was intimidating too. probably at the bottom of it. It was like, well, that's pretty fucking scary. And then the dudes that were doing like top to bottom, just kind of like free riding thought it was like too intense to hit kickers. You know, it was like too serious. <laughs> and they're like, why would you want to like spend an hour of your day just standing there? you know, and, um, and fair enough. But somehow in my mind, like, I was like, this needs to happen, <laughs> you know, like, in a way that was like, uh, on, I mean, if I'm speaking honestly, like, it was really like a, uh, a kind of powerful feeling. <laughs> you had an orbit of light come down. That's dope. And, yeah. And, uh, and I, had, I dreamt I had a Bula headband on. <laughs> and I had a sanctimonious moment. Um <laughs> Good use of words wow. right there. Circle yeah. background. That's yeah. Good. Like, I just like truly, I was like, uh, I was like, this is going to be like intense. And, um, and it's like something that like I can like contribute to snowboarding. Like I truly was like, there's like an area here where like this can happen, you know? And, and, and Devin, I mean, Devin was out there like sending it, you know? And then there was, there was some other like Canadians, you know, that were still like sending it. But I remember just being like, you know, to be able to do like a cab nine in in the powder, and at that time, it, you know, it was you'd be like, that's a pretty progressive trick for like the backcountry. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And um, and just being like, that hasn't happened. You know, let's make that happen. And then, anyways, yeah, you just kind of like start seeing. You know, like the it takes a little while to like figure that out, and you're also kind of like on your own program there for like a little bit because um, the free ride dudes don't want to like deal with that and you know when you mm -hmm. go filming you're with like a crew and there's like you know three or four riders and everyone's got like an agenda and and there's a filmer and then that's like a kind of funny part about snowboarding that people like like my wife doesn't know about mm -hmm. that there's all of this like and you don't it's not organized no <laughs> you know like if i'm on a film like a tri like a filmmaking shoot like a film shoot you i would be now when i think back i'd be like what would make snowboarding more productive have a shot list, you know, yeah, like, right, yeah. and have a day and be like, we're going to do Lucas's thing over here, and then we're going to move on blah, 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 and, do, and do this and that. But instead of everyone going out and kind of fighting over what you're going to do, yeah, or or what be, happens yeah, or like you know, like or just one dude leading and like yeah. we're going here, yeah, the alpha dog, who is you know, and like in my crew, like Sheen was the alpha dog. He should be. He like knew everything, you know, mm -hmm. but um, but be like, well, you know, why would you want to hit that thing, you know, when we can go and we can do this like 7,000 foot face over here, you know? And in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, like the cab nine is going to like look pretty good on the video. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, to Sheen's credit, he, he taught me everything. Let me just say that. <laughs> so, and then, and then people like started kind of like coming around too. And you can't just show up in Whistler in the backcountry without a gatekeeper 
of sorts to show you the ropes, show you where to go, show you what's safe. It's not like, oh, hey, like uh, I'm an American tourist. I'm going to go up and like, no, it doesn't work that way. And you can't yeah. show up and call the shots being yeah. an American tourist too. You got to kind of go with the flow. Fuck no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like safe, you yeah. know, at the bottom of the list of things, <laughs> at the top of the list of Safety things. Safety first. Yeah, while well, you do it. And it's like, uh, you know, snowboarding and, and like surfing and, you know, there's like a un spoken like vetting you mm-hmm. know that happens and that's like you know when you think it's something pretty cool it doesn't happen you know like in a lot of places but there's like you gotta kind of like earn your place and that just means like going with the flow for a little while yeah. it's a combination of dues. untangible things you're either like in or you're fucking out and you're in if you do good tricks and you're cool and you're you can be out if you do good tricks and you're not cool or you can be in if you're really fucking cool and you don't do that good trick. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not really, there's this kind of weird pecking um, order to it all. Yeah, so crazy. You know, like on a soccer team, like everyone's there and there's a coach who's like deciding who gets playing time and it's like based on like who's really good and who's got like the energy and like a kind of like game plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, you know, snowboarding is like a coachless group of goons <laughs> 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 ready to go. Love that. Well said. All right, let's talk about the Vulcan bomb hole of the week, buds. What are we getting into here? We are going to be talking about Vulcan's ZipTech interface. Yeah. Um, first of all, who uses ZipTech? Uh, well, anybody that wears Vulcan, but I, if, if I'm thinking about it, the first people that come to mind, you know, you got Pat Moore. He's kind of a hog out there. You got Haley Langland. You got Torgear Bergam. You got Mike Grav. Uh, just kind of a stacked roster. Stacked all around. roster. And what ZipTech is, is it's a patented jacket-to-pant interface that's going to keep winter out and the elements out, keeping you dry on the slopes longer. True. You know who probably rocks this a lot is uh, Reed Smith. He is constantly eating shit. Like, he's he's borderline uh, almost falling more than he's actually on his board. So, the that could be huge. The truth is everybody falls, right? Yeah. I don't care if you're Reed Smith or uh, it's your first day out. You're going to be laying, rolling around in the snow. If you're going to be having a good time out there, this is going to keep you dry. Your jacket connects to your pants. Volcom's the only brand that has it. So uh, if you're smart, you're going to get this technology uh, on your body. Okay. Well, they're also doing a cool little giveaway. Do you know about the details of this giveaway, buds? Yes. We are going to want to see your favorite bales. It could be uh, riding powder. It could be riding rails. It could just be making turns your first day, whatever. We want to see it. So basically, uh, if you're snowboarding and filming it with your phone or whatever, upload it onto Instagram and hashtag Vulcan Bomb Proof. Tag the guys over at Vulcan. Tag the bomb mole. And uh, you might get some gear, right, buds? Yeah, one of their team riders is going to pick their favorite bale each week, and uh, we're going to send a package with some Vulcan stuff and some bomb mole merch. Let's uh, get those bales up. Let's see what we got. We will pick a winner. All right, I think this is a perfect time for a little pivot. Uh, where we like to beat the living shit out of on this show uh, into some snowboard nerd talk. And, you know, that one particular clip that I was the most excited to talk about in regards to this episode is the back seven. That's your last clip in happy hour. It's got Mm. that kind of country acoustic song uh, about coming down the mountain or I don't even know who sings it, but it's a great song. And then, um, but yeah, can you just, can you just talk us through that clip? Yeah, we had seen, you know, this wind lip, and um, I mean, I distinctly remember that clip, and, and it's actually one of, like, the kind of, like, peak moments in my 
snowboard experience and my physical snowboard experience, you know, which is um, something that like will never happen again in my life is to have these like ultra peak physical experiences, right? Like I just can't, I'm a dad. <laughs> You're never going to jump that big again in your life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and the snow that day was like this kind of like light dusting on top of this kind of like soft snow that was like unique and pretty awesome to the Canadian snowpack. You know, it's like not just light, fluffy Utah, kind of like impossible to manage pow, but it's also not the like super heavy, um, like Pacific Northwest stuff. And it was like this light dusting and, and the jump, you know, to set up that jump, um, you go up there and you just like pat it down like one, two, three, and that's it. Right. And then the run in, you can just like see the whole thing. You know, you don't always get to see your jump at the beginning of your run in. And so the run in's like just perfect. And, um, and that seven in particular, you know, like it was also the one thing with patting down your jump is that like, you can't be too edge heavy. (laughs) Um, and, uh, so like when you hit a jump like that, you know, you kind of like just go off like really flat based and to do like a, ultra flat based uh backside seven you know you could you 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 just get into like a really funky like backwards kind of like off uh you you know like off axis spin um and to also like back seven long enough so that you don't like do your seven and then like come out and then be like oh I got to stop and like still soar, you know? So there's like a lot of like air awareness, like calculations that kind of went on, which also makes it like a peak moment. You know, I could not do that now or for the, whatever the last you know 15 years were, but that moment in particular, you know, like really sticks in my memory because it was entirely silent. And th- this was like, just like a very surreal experience. You know, the way the snow was like you, you come in and you're just like, and then you'd hit the jump and just like, and then the landing too, it's like the perfect steepness. You're just like, and then that's it, you know? And, um, for some reason that like experience and those, uh, like three seconds of my life are forever seared, you know, not just in like my brain, but from my, you know, head to my toes, you know, like. I just like get this like sense and like the, and honestly, you know, like the size on that, like you don't feel the size in an impact way. That's a perfect jump. Right. You know, I mean, you definitely know you're like in the air for like what your body knows is like a pretty damn long time, but just like the, the whole experience, you know, I met, and I remember distinctly coming out, like riding out and just truly being like, that felt so fun. <laughs> Does that jump have a name? I, I don't I don't, don't remember. I don't think that so. It sounds like such a surreal experience with the way it was all quiet like that. Yeah, you know, like just all those like elements to come together. And that was like at a point in my career too where um I was like really landing a lot and like I know that you guys talk about the flow state. Oh you know? yeah. And what's you know, interesting is like the flow state that could be from one step to another, you know, if you're not tripping. And then but for um I was like in the flow state for a couple of years, you know, where kid was living in the flow state. Yeah. You know, like for whatever reason you got your like on snow stuff dialed and like your off snow dialed. And, um, I like, I'm, I didn't, I don't want to sound cocky at all, you know, it's but all right. like, 
but this is objective. Uh, like when filming, I didn't like fall a lot, <laughs> you know, and and um, and was able to film like a bunch of parts, you know. I, I the, around then actually was um, I filmed like three different parts one year, you know, which um, if you're falling, I've had my fair share of unflow state, you know, like eras where you, I just like technically you can't do that. You can't film three parts if you're like falling one day. It's not not possible. It's not impossible. No, it's not possible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, not possible. It's most not. most people don't film three parts in a year. I no. Mean, yeah. yeah. You got to be landing a lot. Yeah. yeah. You got to be a right serious. place, right time, and also landing a lot. Serious champion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's so many like conditions, like fucking weather. We're talking mm-hmm. conditions, you know, that need to play into that. But I guess that's part of like kind of being in the flow state. Like somehow, when you get in the flow state, like you have the universe like wrapped around your finger, mm-hmm. you know, which is a crazy feeling, you know, and yeah, and, and, and that jump in particular, you know, like we did like a couple, I did like that, and then like a front side seven, and like, uh, I did like three tricks, you know, and there was like a, a handful of sessions where that would happen, where I'd just be like, well, I'm going to do these three tricks, you do the three tricks, knock on wood, you know, and, and get out of there and go on to the next one. I always liken it on this show, I've brought up a, this, I call it a snowball of confidence when building a part, but you, you get one clip. You get another, you get another, and, and the snowball gets bigger, and that's like almost like your confidence. Like it's like as you after you land, it's like after you land the front seven on the jump, you you know you're feeling yourself going into the back seven. You're like yeah. you're already like your confidence is high. Whereas if you bombed out the landing before and you landed on your back five times, like you don't have that same confidence going into the back seven. Yeah, there's some factor there yeah. that's also you know flow state. Same same thing. Yeah, million ways to skin a cat type of mm-hmm. thing, but um, similar stuff. But around that time, also, you know, fast forward to brainstorm, which is one of your most prolific video parts. And I think I was talking to your brother. I don't know if this is you. I don't remember where I got this bit of information, but I think it was like, you know, you you kind of mentioned that you were like, or maybe he did, but you were really at peace with like getting hurt or getting really fucked up. Yeah, that was fucked up. Um, I had mentioned that to you. Yeah, you you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, this was like highlighted actually in in one particular moment that I think back on now, and especially as a dad, is so scary to contemplate that I was in this headspace, which is like kind of psychotic, that uh, that there's a clip in there where um, I'm like riding a log over a waterfall. Yep. And it's like an, an Anon ad, you know? The stakes are incredibly high, right? You can only do it one. You can't like test that out. You can't like hop on, hop off, right? It's a it's a log. I don't know if you guys put it up in the show or not, but it's like a log over like a twenty foot waterfall with a massive um, open part of the water because water doesn't freeze when there's a waterfall. <laughs> you know, it's just like a big open piece of freezing cold water, and then it goes on to this like piece of ice and. Um, <clears throat> I mean, and then another like anecdote, my safety measures were that like, like in, in the, in the picture and in the shot, I like don't wear my jacket, you know, which sometimes I do get people, that's booty boss. You didn't wear your jacket. I don't wear my jacket because my thinking was like, if I fall in, if I'm not wearing my jacket, maybe there'll be less chance that I sink to the bottom. (laughs) Right. Solid logic. So that's like the safety measures. Your board and your boots would have pulled you or the current (laughs) would have pulled you to the ice. I mean, geez. Yeah. So, I mean... 
the and I remember, and that was like a kind of like one the kind of like the pinnacle like moment where I just kind of like remember like truly you know like being like man I've lived such a good life so far and um, like in a, in a real visceral way and and that was kind of like the the trick you know like my my head trick you know I had like a few head tricks that I I mean I'd be so curious to hear what other people have you know but that like allow you to like just forget what you're doing that, that what you're doing is like extremely dangerous or that like I put a lot of pressure on myself to like land and, and to film a part you know so you have like some sort of little like head trick to also like take the pressure off yourself you know and um and that was like one of them which is pretty you're essentially saying I had lived a pretty good life. Like, you, are you trying to saying like you're making peace with like it's okay if I die? In other words, yeah, yeah, Fuck psycho. Up. Yeah, and there's like no. I like try and resolve that sometimes. You know, like when I think about it now, and there's like no, there's no resolution to even like being in that place. You know, and there's like, it's just it actually like makes me like sick. You know, to like to think about that. I mean, because even. I mean, now as like a dad, I certainly hope that my children (laughs) never get to that headspace, never get to that headspace. (laughs) And like, and, uh, you know, I was, I just, I listened to the, to the breeze, breezy episode and I know he kind of like breezes, he breezes over some like intense stuff, Mm -hmm. but I, I heard, I heard him, you know, like mention, you know, yeah, we were ready to die. And then like onto the next sentence, but. Yeah, when you like like let that sink in, that is like fucked up. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. You're you ta- ready to put it you, all on the line. You take for snowboarding. A, like that. That's a, I think that is a characteristic of sheer like drive and wanting it that bad. Like you're willing to die for it, and that that's like not that. Like it's been mentioned on our show a few times, and yeah, and uh, that that to me is just a testament of how bad people want it that it, the, and the, a lot of the greats want it that, that they're willing and as much as it does probably not sit well in your stomach like that's kind of you see a lot of the people that say that end up going on to be some of the best to ever do it and it's just an interesting kind of uh, I wouldn't say it's a common theme but it, it definitely comes up yeah. yeah well here's where I would like to promote that that's not a good idea yeah um you know and uh that because I, I had like three different kind of head tricks, right? And so that was like at the most extreme. The other one was uh, that, you know, I had never like, I'd never, I'd been obsessed with snowboarding, right? And, and really wanted it. But there was like a large part of me and, and my drive and my kind of life goals, which always thought I was going to go to college, you know? Like I never actually, it's hard to explain this, but I literally in my mind balanced putting my life on the line to get a snowboard career with the fact that like I was totally fine with not having a snowboard career. There was a, there's literally like a half of my brain, which was like really interested in going to college and didn't care about snowboarding and didn't like respect a snowboard career even, you know? And so I was able to like toggle back and forth through those. And so like the kind of medium, (coughs) I guess like the, the trick for the, the kind of medium sized jump where you might be like, well, I could really, blow both my knees out, you know, or, or do some, uh, repairable damage, you know, <laughs> would be like, this is going to be the, the career ender, you know? And, uh, whew, thank God this way I can go to college next year, you know? But if the, if it had ever come to that, 
I know now, like I would have been so disappointed, you know, and, and, and when I ended up did, you know, getting out of snowboarding, I was pretty disappointed. And then there was like the real kind of like low level, like trick, you know, in, in my head is that I had like a big community of people that, and that didn't know anything about snowboarding, you know, and, and like my friends who, like all my best friends, they don't snowboard. They, you know, this is like a, like an interesting part of my life, you know? And I would just think of, I remember uh, this was a, a one that I would go to all the time, a little more healthy, you know, than like being ready to die. But I always think of them and be like, they don't care whether I land this, you know, like I'm going to still go like go back to Vermont this summer and we're going to like, this moment is going to mean nothing, you know? And it would like, you know, you just like release the adrenaline out of your body and it would like true and authentically, you know, like just kind of be like, oh, fuck it, you know? And, and those would like, they would work a lot, you know, like those like little head tricks, you know, I know you guys do talk a lot about, you know, like, like focus and the drive to, you know, be like one of the best in the world, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of like references also to like athletes, you know, in, in other sports. And I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, that like world-class soccer players or whatever, they also too are thinking about the sport all the time. They're ready to do whatever it takes. They're, they're making all these like compromises. And so there's like, you know, a level of like just uh, emotional and like psychological commitment that's happening. And then there's like the steps it takes to get there. Right. And I know I used to fully believe this and, and I hear you guys talk about it on the show too. It's really just like putting one foot in front of the other and doing the work, right. Doing the work and just, going all in and taking the steps and, and never giving up and, and doing this and doing that and just like putting your head down. Right. And I, and I certainly like did that and that really like paid off in my snowboard career. And it was uh, a super unhelpful um, way to approach like going to college and now like the creative processes that I'm involved with. And that's something that really like bomb hold me, <laughs> you know, when I got to New York city is I um, got to, you know, got to New York and we can, we can like go back and kind of fill in the pieces, but, um, you know, got to New York and I was like, I'm going to an Ivy League school. I'm going to a world-class school. I'm a world-class snowboarder. I'm just going to like do the work. And so doing the work at Columbia University is like sitting in the fucking library and, and reading a lot. Like seriously, I got my first year there. I got like headaches, you know, cause my, I think literally my brain is like synapses are firing that had not been firing before, like intellectual connections and verbal connections, like all stuff that's not like kinetic. And, um, I just blew out, you know, like the, like two semesters in, I was like in a really dark place. And cause I had just been like, well, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to like I'm focused on getting all A's, you know, my new back seven is just getting a 4.0, right? And I'm just going to do whatever it takes to get there. I got this clear goal and I'm like a super intense, successful guy who just does what it takes to get there. And I was so unhappy and just, I, I did get fairly good grades, but I was like miserable, you know, like spending all this time in the library writing papers and it wasn't until I kind of was like, it, it was 
until I bottomed out, you know, I was like pretty depressed. It sucked, <laughs> you know, like it felt really bad. You know, I like, I did get, I, I, I did get a 4.0 there, but it felt really bad, you know. You got a 4.0 there. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, wow. Arrow was a 4.0, but. Oh, uh, yeah. You, you know, so I want to elaborate. Well, so you hit rock bottom here and you're like, you burned yourself out and due to, due to your kind of same fucking, I'm going to crush school like I do snowboarding approach. And so, so, you know, what would you have done differently or how would you change your approach or what was the problem, I guess, is what I'm getting. Yeah. So the problem was not being like comfortable with failure, you know, and also not being comfortable with just like being in between places, you know, so not being comfortable with a, a 3.0. That would have helped, right? Yep. If I had gotten a 3.0, I could have done all the other things in my life, had time for all the other things in my life, like seeing my friends and seeing my family, going surfing. So, like, I didn't have a, a huge one was that I wasn't even physical. I went from being a professional athlete to sitting in a chair in a library uh, eight hours a day, and I didn't pay attention to that. So, actually, I started running. That was, like, a big one, and then started surfing, and... Running and surfing, you know, if you look at, like, the blueprint for how to get a 4.0, that's not, like, on there. Just understanding that, like, you don't need to put your head down and just grind. And the, the scary thing was that, like, it's okay not to be a fucking hero, too. So that was, like, you know, like, a big one is, is I thought, you know, my identity was, like, being the most successful dude in the room right or being the best at what you're doing and if you're not the best at what you're doing making the best podcast you know whatever it may be that th there's no reason to do it somehow this was actually through therapy <laughs> no I love that <laughs> wow <laughs> you know yeah. it's not like some i'm trying to think if i got like a piece of good advice because you guys were like what's the best piece of advice you thought i was like well it came through like dozens and dozens of therapy sessions you know because <laughs> like you don't change you know, from like one piece of advice. Um, you know, from like one motivational quote on Instagram? <laughs> it doesn't change everything? Well, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It doesn't work that way. It comes from like a dozen mildly motivating quotes. <laughs> <Right? Yep. laughs> that's, what it, that's what it's all about. And what was, you know, like really interesting too is my other, you know, like post snowboard goal was to like make films right to make feature films that like win awards i had a really specific goal and i still do which is i'm still trying to get over right is to make like these like films that win awards at uh international film fests right it's a it's a specific thing and it happens all the time and like to do that i was like well i just need to make tons of films and and, and this and that you know and this is where i got even more fucked up is that uh the creative process is not a sports process, right? And that um, the creative process is super subjective and truly the best creative process, which is one that feels good to you because it's, for one, sustainable, right? And that's another thing that, like a whole other can of worms, you know, is that like, I mean, I snowboarded like every year was my last and, and also knowing that like, at the most, there's like a 10 year run and then you got to like start over again. Right. And so it kind of puts like, uh, so it, it does allow that kind of like head down, just like wing it, send it, grind. Um, 
do all the other like adjectives, you know, that like are associated <laughs> with like success. <laughs> and um, that uh, in, in filmmaking, what's pretty cool, I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm still like chipping away, you know? So like in a, a ten, I mean, I did start snowboarding when I was nine, but like I truly like within 12 years just went to the top. And like with filmmaking, like there's really a peaking doesn't even like count, you know, like there isn't like peaking, you know, cause it's like a, it's, it's a creative art and it's a creative, like a commercial art. And that the actual process is like being open and like accepting failure, you know, like allows you to, to do, and it's, it's really hard to explain, you know, but like allows you to make like creative decisions that you wouldn't have thought of, you know, mm -hmm. and you come at like every day. So say like in a, a, a tangible example is like you show up at set, we're doing like the bomb hole show, but it's like scripted, you know, and I'm like talking with you guys, you guys are my actors. There's like a camera guy over here. There's a sound guy, you know, and like coming in and just being like, let's fucking do this thing. You know, like <laughs> let's just grind through this day. Let's, you know, you Chris, just fucking say your lines, do it again and again and again and again and again. And again. Like that's not going to like get in the results. Like and also not like the right word, you know, but like it's, the films that I was making when I was in that mindset sucked and no one saw them. <laughs> so yep. I can say that they were actually like, if you want to talk about like terms of like success and failure, they were failures. They also felt bad to make, you know, like I was kind of just like, well, I got to make a movie. I got to make five movies this year, you know? And like, I would go out and I do it and it kind of like felt like a grind. And I'd be like, well, that's kind of, you know, you're supposed to feel scared. I also too would bring that in. I'd be like, you know, I feel kind of like nervous today. And like, I don't like to feel, no one likes to feel nervous, right? If you do, fine. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't like to feel nervous. And uh, I also, too, kind of brought in the same, you know, to bring it all around, like, that same thing. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, this is like, we got a lot of camera equipment here today. I feel kind of nervous. That must be, it's a good thing. It's actually not, you know, for me, personally, like, for me in, in my process, like, that I want to feel comfortable in life and I want to feel comfortable every day. And I want to feel comfortable, like, doing my craft, you know, which I do have a lot of passion for. And I honestly, I don't know how that, like, came about that I, I kind of, like, realized that, like, it was made me, like, doing through, like, a couple film projects I did where I was like, you know, I, like, literally actually don't care what happens here. Like, whether we win any awards or not or get into any film festivals, like, I'm just doing this for me and, and the few people that I'm doing this with. Probably it's like see how you guys started the podcast. Probably it felt really good. You're in your, you're in your garage. Next thing you know, you got fifty thousand listeners. You know, but that like I don't know, there's a couple of projects that like felt right in doing them, and then the outcome as well. You know, I was like, oh yeah, th this is like, like the film you guys saw. You know, like that just like we had extremely low expectations for like what it can do. You know, as far as like how a film performs because at the end of the, the fucked up thing is at the end of the day, a film is actually like a product and it goes to a market and it performs in a market. So there's that, which is kind of weird. Start doing projects like that where I was like, Oh, this is like, feels nice. And then lo and behold, you know, like, uh, they're, they're good. <laughs> you know, they're like good. And then, uh, also kind of like, uh, 
understanding as a filmmaker that like, you know, like, what do you want as a filmmaker? And it's like really just to like speak to an audience that like gives a shit about the movies, you know, like going to like a fancy international to going to con, you know, which is like, you know, that a fancy international film festival and you go there and everyone knows that and all your friends' parents might also know that, you know. Basically going to Cannes is probably like the top of the food chain for what you want to do. Well, for what I thought I want, for what certain people think you want to do, you know, it's like, that's like the Ivy League thing. And like, there's like expectations around everything, you know, and, and the expectation around snowboarding is that like now it's like you should go to the Olympics, right? That's something you can talk with like your friend's parents about. They know the Olympics. And then for going to college, well, I went to Columbia. Oh yeah, my f- friend's parents know that, you know? And then for filmmaking, it's like, yeah, I went to Cannes. I, w- I won an Oscar. Oh yeah, you know, it's like, this it, just stuff that's like the mainstream uh, symbols of success. And that um, when I started making movies that like didn't have that in mind, they were a lot better um, and they were a lot more fun to make. And it was the opposite of saying, I want to be the best in the world and I'm going to put my work boots on and I'm just going to stomp through this stuff, you know? And, and that was something it took me, you know, like until recently, you know, so we're going to chalk that up to like 15 years after snowboarding to, to kind of finally understand that like those lessons from snowboarding don't always work, you know, and, and the stuff that is talked about on this podcast doesn't always work. That's a great point. I think that, I think there's, there's a lot, I mean, that's the shit that, you know, personally, like I love sports docs. I love that type of stuff. And, and it's really, it's really good to hear the, the exact opposite of that. And, and to, to add to your point too, you know, um, you know, there's something to be said, like in societally, really what's kind of beaten into you, especially, you know, if you want to get on a deeper level, but as, as, as boys or whatever, like, you know, if you, if you do well in sports, that's equated with love. Or if you, if you, your success, your success and happiness are like how you measure your happiness is measured by your level of success. That's kind of what's without being said directly is kind of what you see. Oh, he's got a nice car. He's successful. He's, he must be, he must be crushing it at life, right? They don't say, they don't say what I'm hearing is like, balance like balance is actually the highest level of success right and and that's not something that's it's but inversely i'm i will say though too i think those years while you're while you're young and while you can do it and pushing it to its limits i think it's good to do that too you know while you're and and but but taking that approach of like you know it like you do i love the the motivation you start doing it because you love it and you start doing it because you truly like don't care about the expectation of the accolade but you're doing it because you enjoy the process and then all of a sudden everything starts working out. That's an f- incredible footnote. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that the snowboard experience gave me that is invaluable. But like you said, I mean, to have those moments and to say, you know, like having like a, a surreally silent, massive backside seven just thing I can picture, you know, that was because of, you know, uh, having the goal of trying to do the biggest backside seven in the world, you know, and do a bunch of big tricks and then putting in the steps, you know, and, and the sweat to do that. So I totally hear what you're saying. And then, you know, like the, the, the really cool stuff about the snowboarding is that, um, cause I don't, you know, I, I don't want to like come across as sounding like, uh, 
snowboarding like ill prepared me for the real world <laughs> you know i just wanted to make sure that like uh I offered that to no, it's the, a good the ongoing to the bomb hole, you know. Yeah. It's uh, a, let uh, me ask you this. Would you have gotten that 4.0 if you didn't grind like you did? Let me ask you this. Did getting the 4.0 make me happy? Let me ref- let me ask this back because people go to college and they spend a lot of money. And the goal is to, I guess, come out of there, be successful in your career. But a lot of parents put the pressure on it like, yeah, you need to get that 4.0. And then that does reflect in some jobs you can get, not the ones we're after, but <laughs> but in life, you know. Good sidebar. I love that. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's the whole grind of college. It's almost yeah. like you're supposed to take it like a professional athlete yeah. and come out of there, and then you're going to get the best job as a financial investor on Wall Street. And yeah, what maybe for creativity though, you can't force creativity. You can't get in there and grind it out. It has to come to you, and and you have to have that process and. I guess that's what you learned in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, like, ironic twist is that um, going to Columbia, like, matured my brain in a way that, like, no other place would be. And and being in the environment, you know, so, like, being in the Columbia environment, I'm going to say the dumbest thing. It's like being on, you know, the Mac Dog film crew. The uh, Everything there, like, you go to Columbia, at the orientation day, they're like, Welcome to the Ivy League. You know, like, you're in the best university in the world. You guys have all been selected because you're the smartest people in the world. And it's going to be a lot of hard work, but you guys are all, you know, like, the most successful people in the world, right? And I'm like, yeah, it sounds like Kearns, you know, like, before we go out to film, <laughs> you know, like, that was, it was I was like, this is, this is my people. I'm with the uh, elite, that, you know, like, yep. I'm with the elite. Again, this is my place. Practically speaking, Going to Columbia didn't actually do anything for my film career. <laughs> you know, if yeah. I, like, yeah. I do know, like, a, I have, like, a lot of friends. And I, I always do think that, like, at some point I'm going to be fundraising a film and they're going to be like, you're a Columbia alumni. You know, like, there's good, it's like, I have a... Uh, yeah, because some other guy went yeah, to Columbia yeah. and it's like, oh, let's fund this. It's a, fa- <laughs> yeah, I have a faith-based, you know, like, uh, just kind of, like, belief that somehow it's going to really pay off in, like, what you're talking about, which is, like, practical dividends. And it did, and in the same way as, as, you know, snowboarding gave me these like life experiences that I would go on and, and use until this day, you know, and that being a student, being a pretty gnarly student at a gnarly school like that, um, did give me like, like it, it shaped my rigor. It still, it was like to be a Columbia student, there, there's a, actually now I'm thinking about it, there's a lot of like similarities, like they expect you to be sacrificing everything and working hard. Do they want you, know? you to melt your brain in the library for eight hours a day. Yeah. That's like what they expect yeah. of you, I'd imagine, in Ivy League. Dude. How does a pro snowboarder that took 15 years off from school get in an Ivy League school? You want to know the secrets? I do. Because <laughs> it, doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it's about applying, yeah. that possible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, you guys want to work on your college essays after yeah, this? Yeah, let's do some essays. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to work on is our Is that masks. what it is? Yeah. It's all about the yeah. essay, and but don't you have to have your dope S- SAT skills, and don't yeah. you have to be well, current? And Columbia is, uh, had a, a really unique program. They have a program called the School of General Studies. We should give them an air horn, just because you yeah, never know. Yeah, let's do it. It's so our first Ivy League air horn right there. Yeah. yeah. So the normally the, actually roast college on this. I love this. Yeah. Oh, dude. So the G, like so this uh, the general studies and it is a uh, like kind of like an entrance program. Like you're still. I was in class. So I was 28 and I'm in classes with like 19 year old kids from like prep from East Coast prep schools. 
Oh, like good thing you look real young. Yeah, but oh <laughs> man, I was. Let's not go there. Um, yeah. So they, uh, but they have this program called GS, and um, it's for non-traditional students with life experience. It says that right on on no the, way. right on the on the website, and it's like for non-traditional students that want like a you know a, a world class education. And I'm like, this is me, you know. And so you do, and so the essay like included, you know, what have you been doing since you've been in like a normal and in a traditional like academic setting? Um, what have you been doing? And you do write an essay, kind of like talking about like the value of that and and why that makes you why you're going to be an exceptional student and contribute to the academic community there. And so it's pretty cool. Is like the the kids who I the 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 nickname for this program is actually Uzis and Tutus. And so there's a, a lot of vets. So there's a lot of uh, veterans that are there and then a lot of ballet dancers, Wow! you know, so there's other people like ballet dancers, you know, I, on, on paper look a lot like snowboarders, you mm-hmm. know, they're like super successful, but it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with like a traditional education. And, um, yeah, so, so I got, that's, uh, was part of like the acceptance thing. And then, but they do just like funnel you into class and you're like sitting there with um, very young kids. Wow, that's crazy. Wow, I really loved all those topics you just hit on. Super inspirational. Love how it's just a totally different perspective than me beating my chest every episode a lot of times about this stuff or other guests. And Chris, I, I just want to interject though, yeah. right? That uh, what I didn't mention is that this is all just for me personally. Every yep. person works different and... And that this was just personally what works for me was to like mellow out a little bit and yeah. live in the middle. And so I, I just want to, on no, the record, to say there's a lot of value for like setting your a f- incredibly high goal and working your face off to getting there. There's mm-hmm. going to be a clock to how long you can go as hard as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're going to burn out or you're going to get married. You're going to have a kid. It's like and, and again, life's going to change. Everybody. And again, everybody's different. Some people thrive on that. Some people, but going, you know again, what all the big dogs always tell me like the richest people I've ever known and the, the most successful people I've met in life. They always say work smarter, not harder. There it is. That's the advice they always throw down. Yeah. Like even going back to this other stuff, I think that's really cool. It's like, again, what I, the, the thing that, really speaks to me is the balance too. Like you, it sounds like you found your balance. Like you're working so hard, you weren't exercising, you're whatever. And, and then you kind of, and you're, you're, you're kind of, you just, you figured out, you know, the things that all work and, and, and maybe not overworking is part of that perfect balance too. Um, but what I really want to lean into a little bit more is that talking about the creative process. Cause like, that's kind of a vague statement, but, but in order to create the movie, which Buds and I watched, which is incredible, remind me the name again, night music, night music. When this is out, you guys got to watch it. We were blown away, fucking glued to yeah. the goddamn it'll screen. Be, we're doing like the festival circuit this fall, and then we'll do an online premiere. So it'll be readily available. So going, going back to the creative process, like in, in writing and directing a film, there's like all, so many ideas and light bulbs and things that flash. Like, right, like, that, like when you're feeling creative and you get an idea, there is, there is like an untangible kind of way to, to get there in some ways. And, and so what are the types of things that kind of you can actively do that kind of help you help the creative process fire a little bit? To contradict myself. Yes. Right? So there's like, uh, if you listen to like, uh, you know, like Paul Thomas Anderson's, you know, like screenwriting interview, 
um, he did Boogie Nights. Okay. Yep. Uh, Magnolia or like (coughs) you, when you talk to like writers and creative people, the way they just say, sit down to your desk and write, you know, even if you're not feeling inspired. Right. And that's true. So I'm so sorry to say this, (laughs) No, (laughs) but like, uh, you know, just sitting down and doing the thing, putting the, maybe expecting less from yourself, you know, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. don't expect 4.0, uh, you know, 80 foot sevens from yourself like every day, mm-hmm. but just showing up, right. Just showing up. That's what, that's like, that's it. Right. That's it. And, and, and that I do all the time because the creative process is so vague, dude. And it's going to be, and it's something that I engage with. And I think about a lot. That's my new snowboarding, you know, is like it, engaging the creative process. And it's something I can, what's so cool different than snowboarding because I can see myself doing that until I die mm-hmm. and, and die a natural death, you know, yep. or uh, uh, un-tragically accidented <laughs> <laughs> Not a log ride across a river, though. <laughs> Not frozen to death, but yeah. just dying peacefully. Mm-hmm. Um, just showing up, you know, just, just, just showing up at the computer or even, you know, I go to set some days and you go to set some days and you're like, this scene's so cool and so exciting and these actors are, are, are just so inspiring, you know, and then, and some days you show up on set and, um, you don't have like that, that like a uh, euphoric feeling and, and just knowing that that's okay too, you know, that's like the, you know, I mean, the trippy thing about being engaged with the creative process, which I'm, is not coincidental, I'm sure, is that there's a lot of euphoria involved, like snowboarding, you know, like, like true, just you know, there's like chemicals going in your brain and it feels really good, you know, feels like drinking beer and doing drugs. A little dopamine hit. Yeah, yeah. And and when you have like, an, even if it turns out to be a bad idea, I mean, this does happen, you know, I'm like, oh, what if we put the camera here? That's, you know, it, it, it feels like a good idea. <laughs> um, and that that doesn't always happen and that just, just showing up, you know, and that, um, somehow I've been able to like retain an appreciation for having the opportunity to do that, you know? So even I've got like a little office, you know, and it's not as like cool as you guys' office. It's not as cluttered, but it is more child safe. (laughs) It is more child safe. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, like just, I don't know, somehow I've been able to also be like, and that's a kind of, I don't know if that's good advice or not because it's really hard to like just, one day be like, oh, I'm going to appreciate the fact that I can like go to this place and do this thing. Yeah. There's something that Chris was doing that yesterday. There's some, I literally tell these, I walk in this, I walk in this office a lot, like, and it was more of a euphoric day as you described. Mm-hmm. And I was just telling everybody that that's here at the bomb. I'm like, I fucking love coming to this place. Like I, and, and there's something that's really cool. You know, there's a lot of parallels, you know, we're, we try to do creativity. Like our creativity is like, we're going to create smelling salts and we're going to sell them. It's like, it's dumb. It's dumb, but it's, there is a creative process there. There's yeah. things like that. And, and going back to what you're saying earlier, like it's, it's kind of cool. I think for people are in different chapters of their life, right? You might have somebody that's pursuing a snowboard career or whatever. And, and, and then you go into the next phase is a, is a thing. And, and this is kind of, you know, for us, like it's, I, I, I liken it to like coming to the bomb hole, like the, making these shows 
I am as excited as I was when I was like 16 getting my first box in the mail, you know, and that, and so for you, you know, I was talking to George Kleckner and he likened your next chapter. He said, I was, he's like, I was talking to Lucas and he said, it's like showing up in Whistler at the trailhead with the excitement of like going snowmobiling, you know? And I think that's pretty inspiring that like you can find that thing that still fills your bucket like snowboarding, even after you kind of round the corner. And that, that's a really great, you know, message to just like, you know, you can take a lot of, take the good and leave the rest. You don't have to be yeah. full border mentality, but there, there is kind of, you know, uh, some, some cool parallels. There. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the big parallel is that I'm my own boss and that's like actually one of the biggest like snowboard things that I, I find is parallel and that snowboarding kind of like just introduced me to like, I've never gotten a W2 in my life. That's amazing. You know, and that the a, a career filmmaking uh, has like certain risks. You know, um, which that having like a that having a nine to five job, you know, would kind of cover up like not having to hustle, right? Still, because you know, still like project to project, you're trying to like raise finances, and there still is like this, like uh, you know, f- just uh, always like financially, you know, like hustling to put together projects. But that was like something that snowboard taught me. It was like, oh, I can be my own boss and know there's like a snowboarding. There's like a, a, a certain animal like business, which, which is nice that you guys talk about. And, and, and Brees w- was so good at talking about that. <laughs> Holy shit. Cause yeah. I mean, he talks about business a lot, obviously, and thinks mm-hmm. about it a lot, but you know, there's a certain element where there's like really practical things like budgeting, you know, I made this much from photo incentive. Uh, I'm going to like, you know, put that away because through whatever your arrangements are, you know, but just like thinking about like managing your own money as opposed to knowing that like every Thursday there's like a paycheck that's going to come into your bank account and you kind of like just know that's going to happen like 12 months out of the year. So there was like some really like just dry practical stuff that from snowboarding that I still use in, in filmmaking. I'm like, I got, this is actually now more comfortable for me, you know, like going, Sometimes I, I freelance, I'll go into like ad agencies and they're in an office and there's like uh, smoothies and there's like a snack bar and there's a cafeteria and there's a lot of other people, you know, all kind of like servicing still like a kind of like corporate umbrella. It's pretty fun for me actually to do that because I'm like, you know, these smoothies are amazing and I'm going to get free coffee and stuff. Um, but there's like, <laughs> you know, an element of it where I'm like, after a while, I'm like, I got to just go and just do my own thing, you know? And, and so I've been able to set up like my business like that, you know, where, where just in like an owner operator, my own production business for a while, but then also go into these agencies and just having like the awareness that you can even do that and the confidence and then like some practical, like knowledge tools that comes from 10 years of being a freelance snowboarder. That's incredible. Hey, let's, uh, we've, we've been cruising and we skipped over a uh, oh, we did. great little segment that. of the show. You've been dropping so much knowledge on us that uh, let's get into a fan favorite. Here we go. Okay, the Name That Video Part segment is presented by the Icon Pass. Now, it's going to be a great winner. You're going to want to get out there and get snowboarding. If you're going to want to snowboard, you're going to want to get an Icon Pass. 
because they got locations all over the place, over 45 destinations, right, buds? That's right. In five continents, nine countries, and 15 states in the U.S. of A. Wow, that's a lot of places to go snowboarding. It's a lot of places. It's a lot of places you could say to own the stoke, if, if you will. If you're going to own the stoke, you're going to have to be in one of those destinations. That's exactly where you're going to become the a shareholder, owner. Uh, you're not going to be leasing the stoke. You'll be owning the stoke with an Icon Pass. Now, you can find one of these bad Larrys at IconPass.com. How much are these things going for, buds? $499 for adults, which is a great deal. That's a great deal. Head on over to IconPass.com and pick yours up today. Going to dive back into the snowboard brain here. Um, I've been saying it's a fan favorite. I'm actually unsure if this is a fan favorite or not. I don't know if the fans actually do. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually like, I hate this. Can you get But either way, they're going to get it. <laughs> I get so stressed out for whomever's sitting in this chair. <laughs> Are you stressed now, right now that you're sitting there? How are you feeling? Confidence level zero through ten. That little music cue, I'm nervous now, but it's that's supposed to be good, right? Palms are sweaty. I'm scared. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, I'm supposed to tell you guys what my confidence yes, level is. We yes. just started asking that for unconfirmed reasons, but it just yeah. became a the thing. The number is put up on the screen. Yeah, Paul made a little thing where the number comes on the screen. I'm gonna go for a true to my own word and just say a five. Solid. You know. All right. That's a lot of better than some people, so. Here we go. Oh, come on. Come on, meatball. That's MFM. Yes, it is. And, Mark and, and Frank Back Montoya. in Black. If people don't know that one. Uh, I. That's actually, the second part was incorrect. It's actually MFM and Happy Hour. But oh, yeah, he's stomping around. Though. And the... That would, yeah, I think so, that's back in black. Yeah, back in black's a stomping around, but that's the one he does like a back three late shifty. It's an incredible yeah. part. Mark Frank Montoya, Dude, uh, the bomb hole cooler. So he got the cooler. Uh, it's again, it's filled with bomb hole merch, which is all available at bombhole.com. We got yeah, new but, hats from Cole. We got uh, what else we got in there? You guys want to give this to Matthew McConaughey? He's gonna be so stoked. Yeah, <laughs> this is gonna be. Are you guys on, on the documentary? Are you guys gonna cover the the bomb hole? Like when you guys come here um, for the McConaughey film? Yeah, yeah. We'll let you guys use the office. That'll be tight. You can also dig through the back and pick through what you want. Too, those those shirts might not be your size. I don't yeah. know if Jules uh, swapped it off or not. Switch them out. out. This is awesome. Thanks, uh, guys. Okay, um, and again, all that stuff's available at bombhold.com. I believe we have a thing going right now where you get some uh, socks if you spend over $75. That's a fact. So uh, check it out. All kinds of good merch. Stony Buds uh, has some incredible merch on there. Now, um, some part, air fresheners. part two, this is for you guys. Uh, if you know the answer, you know the drill. Here we go. Do I get to say it and you guys bleep it out? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah those are did. nice. What you, how did you know that those were like? I just I well so randomly I I didn't actually I knew that that was your dog. <laughs> yeah, and I just thought it would be fun. I um I wasn't sure if you know the one, but oh yeah, yeah, of course. That's a great part. Uh, it's an ender in a yeah. on. Uh, we the won't white. say the name of the video, yeah. but um yeah. We're going to get into uh, pub beer. Uh, we're going to talk about a great sponsor of the show. Um, Buds has been crushing some can. He's, he seems to thoroughly enjoy it. All the boys seem to just crush pub beer. Huh, Buds? Yeah, you need one, Bud? I'm going to take a bunch of those on the road with me. All right. We there, got you. There dog. it is. Yeah. Celebrate you, you the will film enjoy festival. some cheap, fun beer. Yeah, their motto is cheap, 
fun beer. Uh, if you're picking up beers and you see pub beer there, might as well get them. They support the show. They kick ass. Uh, so get yourself some pub beer. With that, we're going to get into the crapshoot. Here we go. Welcome to the pub beer crapshoot. That is uh, Dave Chappelle saying clackety, 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 clack. And so what you do is you roll some dice, and then uh, according to what the dice land on, you have to maybe answer a question. You could potentially win some money. Uh, there's all kinds of good stuff. And again, if it lands on Goon Gear, shout out to Lucas Magoon and oh, his sweet. whole family. Uh, also, a Vermont six. local. You uh, Those are sixes. What's that? If it lands on Goon Gear, <laughs> it's that? a six. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, obviously. Okay. Yeah. So should I be spinning? What, what am I supposed to do? Throw those throw dice on the table. Like, you never rolled dice before, Lucas? You almost got sloppy dice. That was good. We got a six and a two. That is eight. That's the money. Okay, Isn't well, uh, I don't know if we covered this or not, but tell us about the breakout moment uh, that helped launch your career. I don't have, like, the the, the ultimate breakout moment, but because uh, there's, like, a series of things that happens, right? But I do, what does come to mind, like, I have this one moment, you know, that, like, randomly is associated. There's no logic to this. But the first day that I got to film with Kearns, uh, I guess that did change my career forever. I wouldn't call that a breakout. That was more like a breakthrough. That would be like a breakthrough moment. Well, the breakthrough moment. Yeah, because I had already, he was like aware of me. But I remember that, um, you know, I had been filming for Kingpin and had some parts out and he was aware of what I was doing. And I remember going to like get some beers. At, this is snowboarding, you know, how snowboarding happens. Yep. <laughs> and you're going out to get some beers and a burger. And uh, Kearns was there with... Uh, Devin, they're like over at the bar side corner, you know, I'm like trying not to stare at him, just like, <laughs> you know, and um, he like came over and was chatting and then was like, would you like to come out and hit this gap with us tomorrow? Like, you know, and, 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 and uh, I was like, well, yeah, of course. And, uh, and we went and hit this, um, what's called the Hurley gap, which do you guys, I know like, what's jump you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's like, over uh, like a snowmobile cat track, the the drops really steep. Yep. Like, so th- did like, Dano shoot a photo of that? Everybody shot a photo. Oh, of a photo that. of you on that that he posted recently. Uh, Flash. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a di- no, that's oh, a different one. That's okay. a different gap. Right. Um, this is the one you kind of like just drop sn- out of like super a, high. Yeah, out of a, yeah, it was like snowmobile uh, underneath it. Yeah, yeah, snowmobile. Yeah, that's the classic. Like, you always dev- put the sled under it, huh? Dev- yeah, yeah, you have to, right? Yeah. Um, photo tricks and. Uh, they were like hitting a different version of that. They made a bigger version of that. And uh, Kearns, whose like ability to get the best out of you snowboarding intelligence is the best that there ever was. And I think he somehow got it in his mind that having me there the next day would help motivate his crew. <laughs> you know, it's crazy that anything could happen like this. One day you're drinking beer with your buddy, and the next day you're snowboarding with Devin Walsh, who to me was. Um, sanctimonious great, um, great adjective yeah and that day we go and we session and sure enough the gap's fucking massive um but it was pretty at that point like i felt pretty comfortable and was like trying to do like some switch backside threes on it which was me you know that's like my version of like going like big or going home just trying to make sure i leave an impression on these guys I remember i didn't i didn't land it was really that gap like in particular is like super hard to stomp because um, of all of these like physics involved and the tight landing and you're like falling out of the sky and low elevation snow. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, stomping, a, if I had stomped a backside three, that would have really kind of, like, uh, made people remember me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but trying a backside three was enough. And that, like, that was, so we did that session, and then that was, and then that summer, Kearns, like, invited me to, to film with Mac Dog. Um, but that, like, I mean, I remember being at the bar and talking with those guys and me just trying to play it so cool. But that was another, like, as, like, surreal in a different way as, like, the mm-hmm. silent backside seven, mm-hmm. you know. And as far as, like, breakthrough, I, I think of that as being, like, my snowboard career changed after that moment in that session. You know what? I'm, I'm going to interject with a pretty surreal moment I kind of had when you were coming on the show. We talked, I talked about it with you briefly, but when I was 17... I drove cross country with Scott Stevens and Austin Granger. And the first place we went when we got to Mount hood, it was, you know, to go to Mount hood was, uh, Austin Granger road for nitro. We went to the nitro house. And at that time I had never seen uh, pro snowboarders. And I walked in and like, kind of, I've met a few here and there, whatever, but and you were sitting on the couch. And I remember being like, Holy shit, Lucas Huffman is sitting on the fucking couch right now. And then like come full circle. Now you're sitting in the goddamn bomb hole. It's fucking awesome. Just had yeah. to interject with that. I think it's yeah. pretty cool. How yeah. Serendipitous? Is that a is that a right word for that? Or so that works? I don't right? know if that, I don't really know what that means. I'm just trying to sound smart. I think it works there. Okay. But um along those lines of what you're just saying. Diabolical? Is diabolical. that what you meant to yeah, say? Diabolical. <laughs> I got my words. Yeah. <laughs> um let's dive into a great guest question from your brother. Hey Lucas, it's Jesse, another Guest question. Um, do you remember the day up in Whistler where you filmed the cab five that was the opening part of your Mac Doug shakedown part? Um, I'm wondering if that was an average day filming with Mac Doug in Whistler because to my memory, uh, I went with you guys and you hit no less than like eight or nine just insane jumps. Let us know. Um, thanks, Jess. The, um, what is crazy is that was a pretty average day. You know, I think that's like the crazy part is that that was like, uh, like the cab five and then some of the other, not just the cab five, you do a bunch of switch turns into it and then fly off the thing, which is like fucking awesome. Just had to, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. 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 That, yeah, that was, yeah, it wasn't just the whole thing was to be like, how do you like cab five amongst a groovy power run? Mm -hmm. And, um, that because that year, you know, like the bar was every, like super high every single day, um, and we would just go out and and we're like pushing ourselves so hard every day that come you know you're really you're in like I don't even know what like the flow state of flow states is I don't know if that exists peak flow state maybe hyper flow state hyper flow state okay. <laughs> you know like by the time you get into like late February, March, you're, you're also like, just kind of like probably like accustomed to like adrenaline levels, you know, like adrenaline is like the norm for your body and being in like super dangerous situations and all of the like physical experience that comes with that. That's like your office, you know? And, and that's when like a lot of crazy shit goes down. Um, and if you're having like a pretty good year, you know, like you said, that the kind of like your uh, snowball of confidence and like just kind of landing track record is, is, is pretty plump. Yeah, I remember Jess coming in. We also had like our snowmobile scene dialed, you know, mm-hmm. like our kind of like snowmobiling and, and BC is like 
a whole sport into itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just like how you get somewhere. That's like the public transit that, you know. Yep. But uh, we had all our scene was all like just dialed and everyone knew what we wanted to do. And, and that crew, like our Canadian, the whole crew. I mean, I know that like JP and all, and all those dudes down here like had their, they're just kind of like work um, protocol. I mean, I don't even know what you, everyone's just on point, you yeah. know, there's no, like no confusion. And same thing with us. We had like a, a whole seasons long list of jumps, right? So it wasn't, we weren't like wasting energy, like kind of sitting up there being like, well, what should we hit? You know, like, you know, that one's not going to get sun until the afternoon and this and that. We were like, here's our morning jumps. Here's our afternoon jumps. Once we hit all those, we're going to go into the other gully. Oh, we didn't get there. Okay, we'll get there tomorrow. Like we were like really on a roll. And so, yeah, when just came up, we were like just a hyperflow state. (laughs) And uh, that's what's trippy. And like uh, an objective perspective, which is like what he had, that's like not normal, you mm-hmm. know, but uh, what's crazy is to be inside a bubble of, you know, riders and, and filmers where that like felt like we were like, yeah, we're on par right now. You know, we're like not dropping the ball. And then there was some moments where you'd be like, oh, that was sick. You know, that was sick even for flow state, flow state. Mm-hmm. Um, but that day in particular was like we got a lot of shots. They were all worthy you know, being in the video, um, but like, it was yeah, it felt fairly normal. I got a secondary question to that in regards to that, you know, particular day, and I guess that opening line where you do those turns and and the switch five forty, and and JP Walker is essentially saying like, Lucas is all about keeping organic and hippie. I got love. Like, I got love, nothing but love for you. Do your thing, boy. Now, I was just curious, like, knowing your demeanor and everything, like, how did you feel about that voiceover when that part came up? Oh, yeah. That's controversial, isn't it? (laughs) We're about to find out. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I hear from a lot of other people. I get a lot of people that are like, I'm really sorry that JP did that for you. (laughs) You They're like uh, grumpy for me. Having JP Walker do a voiceover for your part, there's like a certain, like, 80% of that just is like, whatever he says is um fine by me because like the legend is acknowledging you right (laughs) yeah that's a good great point like so there's a certain element which uh i was just like that's cool and then um beyond that i I didn't have honestly i I didn't have like too many problems i didn't have any problems with that (laughs) um but i do know that like uh it's it's not like did he nail my like authentic self no, you know, but, <laughs> but him and Kearns are always, they're also, you know, like trying to think of, of ways to like elevate the stuff around the snowboarding. Creating a narrative. Yeah. Well, the, the thing, I mean, I'm a gigantic JP Walker fan, as I mentioned on here, but to me, it did seem a bit out of character for you a little bit, yeah. but, I, but uh, nonetheless, great part of snowboarding history. Um Yeah. Fucking awesome. All right. We're going to talk to you guys about some rope toes, specifically... The Toe Pro. It's your backyard rope toe. That's a lot of uh, tongue-twisting words. Now, Buds, you've seen one of these things work in action. What's, I did. What are they all about? We used one at Bjorn Linus's backyard park, and I tell you what, man, it was incredible. Kids were no hiking going on. They were able to get their reps up, hitting the features a million miles a minute, it seemed like, as a photographer, it was mm-hmm. almost overwhelming. You actually hit the features going up the hill. Yeah, there's so, enough speed with those things. Yeah, they haul ass, and we've talked about it on the show, if you want to get good at snowboarding, you got to get get those reps up. Get those repetitions. 
Um, and it's definitely just a fun experience with your friends. You know, hiking is great. If you don't have a rope toe, rope toe is really the ideal scenario. So if you have a cool backyard setup, we're actually giving away a rope toe with the guys over at ToPro. So what you're going to do is take a picture of your backyard snowboard setup, upload it onto Instagram, tag hashtag clip high, and also tag at the bomb hole at ToPro. And uh, we will be giving away a actual rope toe to the winner of this. So, um, you know, maybe your hike park can become a rope toe park. And these guys kick ass. If you go over to topro-lifts.com, you can get a 5% discount if you use promo code BOMBHOLE. Uh, rope toes kick ass and get yourself one yesterday. So upon talking to uh, Tonino and I think George and some guys that were close to you, it sounded like, you know, every single year you would basically film a video part. And I think you mentioned it too, but you would film a video part and be like, that was my last year. And they'd almost have to like beg you to come back. And, you know, uh, like, <laughs> like, you know, like it's, that's how, they, that, how it was described, you know, you, and like, that's considerate though. It, and, uh, like what or not beg you, but try to try to talk you off the ledge or something to, to come back to snowboarding. And some of your last few video parts were some of the heaviest ones you, you ever filmed. And, and um, I guess it would be cool to kind of talk about the kind of dogger years that were where you were going ham town towards the end. Yeah. The, uh, well, so there was, you know, the first dogger year, which was shakedown and, you know, and, and Sean had invited me to come and film and, um, and so I had to make a choice, you know, like keep filming with Whitey or, or go with Mac Dog. And um, it was it was actually a pretty easy choice um, for me because there was, Kearns was fucking focused, you know. And he had like this charisma about him, which totally got me. And um, at the same time, Whitey was actually getting a little bit out of like the snowboard videos. And, uh, and it was a place too that like with Kearns, I just felt like so at home. And there was something about it where I was like, with this guy, he's kind of, he's of any people that I was with, he was most like the snowboard coach that like gets the team to perform at their highest level, you know? And he just like set up the environment for world-class snowboarders to snowboard their best. And so we did Shakedown. Um, and then there was the Chalk Smack, which was after that. Um, and then follow me around and like those two videos, I was really phoning it in, um, barely the lines were, you know, like, uh, open at best, but like the, I had a shoulder injury, which was actually off the same jump from the, that, uh, backside seven. I hit that the next year and dislocated my shoulder and uh was able to like did shakedown like but my shakedown season actually ended early because i had to get shoulder surgery and then the next two years i'm just like plagued by shoulder surgery and shoulder instability and you're in that place that like i hear all everyone every snowboarder you guys bring on has well every like dude like me you know like older snowboarder has got the same story like they kind of peak they have some kick-ass parts and then when they're like at their highest like exposure level, they keep snowboarding and they keep the pressure on themselves to be a world-class snowboarder, even though most times like their body is just not up for it. You know, like my shoulder, like really what I needed to do is take an entire year off and let my shoulder heal. But snowboarding 
the snowboard career is not set up like that, which um, n- there's no better. That's just for worse. Yeah. <laughs> there's no better or worse. That's just for worse. That's how it is. Yeah. You know, and so, um, but I still, you know, like I had to go out there and, and I had expectations and I also, you, at that point too, one of the tricks I always told myself as well is that whenever snowboarding stopped becoming fun, I would quit. And, um, during those last years, it was definitely not fun. Um, but the money was pretty good. <laughs> so there was like, I was like, yeah, snowboarding for money more than just for like the, the fun of it. And, um, we've also heard that on here a lot. Like that doesn't work. Those other, yeah, so that the, the, we were on still good crews and I think my level of snowboarding was like high enough that. I could still phone it in and like still have sponsors. Um, but I was really bummed out, you know, and it's like, um, a, it's like, you know, you know, I don't, depression is not really like a feeling you can like articulate, you know, it's just like, you feel tired, you feel unmotivated, nothing. You don't, you don't feel the euphoria, right. You know, like you just don't feel anything. Um, and, uh, then the like, th- I remember there was a trip. So this was like the breaking point, you know. Yeah, I want to hear about that. My uh, breakdown moment. Your breakdown. <laughs> yeah, we don't what really, was your breakdown? We don't moment. really have a breakdown moment on the show. I like this. <laughs> Dude, every, I always. I, everyone's got. What's crazy is I listen to the show, and it's it's so comforting to me. <laughs> you know, like kind of like people that have this like really unique experience that of like a pro snowboarder with like the same arc. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like just so predictable, mm-hmm. um, which maybe, I don't know, somehow if like listeners could like learn from us old crusty shredders and our like predictable demises, <laughs> <laughs> if, if there could be, uh, it's some, gotta end sometime. Yeah. There's yeah. an expiration date. Yeah. yeah. So my like breakdown moment, um, I recall was on follow me around, you know, and, uh, and filming with Mac dog does come with pressures, you know, that, um, that you just be the fucking best in the world. Um, and, and we were in AK and I was having like a terrible winter. This would go down as like the worst winter I've had since I figured out how to land stuff, (laughs) you know? And, uh, it's just going on and on, you know, and you want to just like stop, you know, and, and just like stop. But like you did, I mean, the the crazy thing is like, I mean, I signed contracts saying I was going to do this stuff, you know, and like snowboarding is unlike many other jobs where like, you can't just like show up and have, and and phone it in because you'll get like hurt for one. That's like the biggest one is if you're not like super focused and you got all the juices flowing, like you're going to get hurt and my shoulder was already hurt and there's so much traveling that happens. And it's like, you know, when you're doing the bomb hole out of your house, like there's no separation and, and you got to like, like really, really love. And so when you don't, it's a big problem and it feels bad. Um, we went to AK on a trip to like, and I'm like in my, my goal is just to salvage a part, you know, just get like two or three like decent clips and um we were like hitting this one gap it was pretty sick but the another like physics problem landing like some jumps are just unlandable this was like an unlandable jump and the snow conditions were varying and i just remember like spending one all day falling and it like snowed we went back the next day and like was 
in the process of spending that day falling. And I remember like, and you got to go, so some jumps too, you got to go super fat. That was a, one problem is that like you, the speed to clear it made it so that you would clear the landing. <laughs> and then, you know, like there was, it was just a, a physics problem that we hadn't solved. And I'm like falling and I remember falling so hard that both my gloves fall, like just burst off my hands. Right. I'm like a pile in the snow. My gloves have been like blown off my hands because I've been shot out of a cannon and, and just in my mind, just being like this, what I'm doing to my body and my mind and my spirit is not worth it. And I got on my snowmobile. I remember I like snowmobiled uh, up off onto a hill and I started bawling. And I was like literally crying. I remember putting on my uh, like iridium goggles so that like no one would see me. And um, that was the that was like the bomb hole of all bomb holes. The like breakdown that I mean I'll always remember that low. That was I mean it was it was so beautiful up there too. Like you know we're in Alaska, beautiful day. You can just see you know snow covered peaks like epic landscapes like. You would take like a, a whole family vacation up there just to go up there, and I'm just like crying. You shouldn't be crying at the top of this beautiful mountain, doing this awesome job. Yeah, you know, and like hiding from everyone because like crying on a snowboard trip should be accepted, but it's no, but it's not. Maybe this year it's more acceptable. I don't know. We're getting we're we're getting there. Yeah, I think snowboarding has come like a long way as far as like accepting people for who they are. I might have seen Joe Sexton cry on a trip after 450 tries on a giant rail with a crazy trick. Yeah. Emotion, man. It's there. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I got in my truck and drove straight from – I got my shit out of the hotel and drove straight to Portland. And that was – Dude, yeah. End of the career. (laughs) Yeah. What did did Mac Dog say? Uh, I mean, the the, I got, like, a – Piddly part. You it know, didn't like, matter. You were yeah. out. Huh? Yeah. I mean, there's like, I mean, it was the end of the year. That was, you know, potentially if I was like really motivated, I would have, you know, gone snowboarding in May. Like, you know, we would do sometimes. Yeah. But I just literally drove straight to Portland and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And that's when IR-77 was born, you know. And so. Before we touch on that, I have a quick question. Um, are you able to share with us in your days as a pro snowboarder? What kind of cheddar biscuits you got at the most at the height of your career? Yeah. Since it's in the past, I don't know. It's up to you. It's your call. Yeah, yeah. I love the cheddar biscuit talk. I yeah, think people that's like really like to hear it. It, it was a different era. Yeah, different know? era. It's like biscuit. It's like biscuit. Yeah. Well, uh, it wasn't crazy. You know, like the peak years when like photo incentive, you know, so you'd get like photo incentive. You'd have like some annual salary. I'd get like an interview. Interview is killer because you get like just. 12 pages of photo incentive. You can really rack it up. Yeah. And then like randomly I would do a contest here and there. And like those years, you know, like maybe there was like a five year span there where like the net was like, you know, like 170 K something like this. Pretty nice dude. It felt like a lot because I was like 24. Yeah. That's what's crazy. You know, dude, a five year span at 170 is not shabby. No, that's like, uh, well above poverty. Yeah. That's like for sure. So the um 
But I hear dudes come on here and talk about. That was one dude, Dan Breezy. <laughs> I was yeah. blown away I was by blown that. Away. I, was I was like, holy shit. Guy's making more than some it, of the brands he works for. One thing that we got to talk about before we get into IR77, because there's one thing, if I didn't ask you, I would be so mad at myself. <gasps> but in Shakedown, you throw the fucking giant board that says Huffman off the yeah. cliff. What's the story behind I know that? the story, I bet. Is that uh, owed to Sean Farmer? Why don't we cast Eastone as <laughs> Sean Connery telling my story? So, am, hey, am I Sean, right? Sean. Am I right? Action. Am I, am I right? Well, wait. I'm sorry. What's Sean that? Farmer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am right. We're from a, the same time, I guess. Yep. Yeah. So that was, but there was a few things that he like. He didn't grow up in our time. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, that was like a, a farmer reference. Okay. Um where he, at the beginning of a part, he, he's standing the up. Iconic part. Yeah, yeah. He used to have a board that had a, a big green letters. It said Farmer in the same way it said Huffman. Mm-hmm. And this was like a Kearns idea. You know, Kearns was like, he was like, we should do this, you know, in, in homage to Farmer. And um, and even back then, you know, like I know like there's a lot of like always paying homage, you know, which happens in, in snowboard to like to old pros. Um and, you know, and, and we would do that to, like, Farmer and Palmer and this and that. Um, so we got the board made, and we went up this, like, super fucking massive cliff and stood at the edge of the cliff and tossed it down. But what was cool is that n- no one predicted, you know, how it would, like, flip like that. And that's, like, the thing that is the coolest, you know, is that, like, it flips and it, and it reads, you know. Like, I threw two of them off. One of – because I had two made. We did it twice. And um, the other one – I was holding the other way, so it actually um, said my name like backwards and upside down, <laughs> you know. And then, and then we did the the second one, which was you know legible, you know. Mm-hmm. From I'll put that farmer one in the show notes so people can see. Yeah, it yeah, and yeah. yours in the show yeah. notes. We'll put them both in the show. Oh, notes. dude, that'd be awesome. Yeah, but the way it fluttered like that—that's just like an incredibly happy accident, you mm-hmm. know. And it like uh, for me personally, you know, like that's how like. Uh, film works like cinema you know it's got this like uh really like cinematic quality you know it's like like the, the the way a film reel works it's just a bunch of different little things like going that make a total um image and kerns worked or mac dog worked on that first movie i think with farmer or maybe he didn't i don't know was it critical condition yeah, what, what was that i think when mac dog was or mac dog started or working with the hatchets i don't know i think I don't know. Someone was schooling us on that on one episode. All right, let's get into hot takes. It's uh, about that time. It's, you know, we ask it. It sounds like you've listened to a few episodes. Uh, Never heard the show before. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Bomb Hole. We have a section called Hot Takes, and we like to ask who the Michael Jordan of snowboarding is, uh, both male and female. Now, who do you have, Lucas? Yeah. Well, female, um, Jess Kimura, um, and, oh, yeah. We haven't done enough. Yeah, you've been late on the air horns lately. It's hard. He's he's when he's talking, I don't want to interrupt him because he's got a good stream of consciousness. <laughs> I thought going. that was the cool thing. Is when people are talking, you just air horn all the time. Okay. <laughs> hey, if, uh, I'm going to do a little PSA. If I didn't give you an air horn, it was it was it was there in. It was spirit. out of respect. It was in for spirit. Lucas. It was out of respect. Yeah, that's actually Lucas's fault. You can take it up with him. Yeah, uh, I mean the uh, there's so much about Jess, you know, which is uh, like legacy material you know so mj qualities um like you know the snowboarding and then just her ability to change the game because that's a that's more important (laughs) you know well parallel you know if you're mj 
everything's different after you. Um, and, and from what I've seen from her, you know, I've been able to interact with her just a little bit, but I mean, what I know about her and the landscape of women's snowboarding, um, she's that. And then for dudes, I mean, I'm from like a Terrier era, you know, like I'd be hard pressed to name too many pros actively working in 2021. But, um, Terrier was also, and I've heard it a lot on here before, a game changer for, you know, just what you can do on a snowboard and then like super pro, you know, like he was, and there was like Jamie Lynn, but Terrier was even, you know, more evolved as far as like a big ass brand getting behind him too, you know, and just super pro. And then I would see him like walk, I would go to the U.S. Open contest, you know, and just like seeing him walk you know probably it was a little baller see when they see like mj walk they're just Mm -hmm. like by the grace of god uh this is a new one i've been wanting to ask what do you think the greatest video part ever filmed is i mean i also too like come with like a (laughs) like a a limited window of you know knowledge of video parts That's okay as like an anecdote you know did you guys ever see on the seventh year like steve blakely awesome movie this is, yeah, yeah, that like when I was like, uh, kind of like open to like greatest films, we watch that was probably that will go down as like the most watched part that I, that I ever had, you know. But like I can, you know, say that wasn't the greatest part ever filmed, and um, but that had the greatest impact on me for sure. That's like uh, that was like tweaking. St- like stumps that kind of put like summit county on the map whole um, movie filmed in breckenridge yeah pretty much and maybe a little copper yeah yeah but the like jaw you know the thing is like uh i also in during my like more like evolved kevin jones's oh parts, yeah right so those were times where you know i was under the impression that they were the greatest <laughs> you mm-hmm. know like great parts though they yeah really are, still he, this day. yeah i mean like technically he was like you know light years ahead of everybody and so those were and there was like a couple standard parts you know where you were just you got the feeling that you were like wow you know like snowboarding's different great answer um worst trend in either life or snowboarding what do you got 90s fashion um, which I lived through, you know, and, uh, suffered through. And I actually see this. I actually, I, I actually watch more skate videos now than, than snowboard videos. Um, I'd have no idea why it's just like, it's so comforting. <laughs> like I, when, I understand that. Yeah. I, when I like feel like, so anyways, and I see this in skate videos, like, uh, massive, like cutoff jeans and like super frumpy, um, shirts. And, and this and that, and they're kids, you know, that, that probably weren't alive in the 90s. And I just think to myself, like, we already did that, and it was so embarrassing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and uh, it gets me. I li- I'm in my wife, who's, like, oblivious, you know, to action sports. I even vent to her. I'm like, why are they doing this again? And then you see it in fashion mags, too. You know, it's like skate clothing goes to fashion mags and you know gets around to snowboarding and when i see it in fashion mags too i'm just like that looks so bad let's give that a little gunshot to 90s fashion (laughs) so let's do a patreon question 
Um, first of all, thank you to all the Patreon members. We're so stoked to have you as part of the Bombhole community. We could not do this without you, so thank you. This question is from the big dog photographer, Cole Barish. Wow. Stoked he's a Patreon, too. That's yeah, pretty, pretty that sick cool. right there. IR-77 was ahead of its time. There was nothing like it out at the time, and still, 20 years later, it holds its own. Can you talk about what the approach with that film was and the process working on it, as well as what it did for snowboarding as a community? You know what would be cool is to call up Cole and ask him why he considered it ahead of its time. <laughs> to set like some some context because it was pretty fucking weird so maybe that's <laughs> ahead of its time and it didn't have a lot of like actual snowboarding in it so maybe that was ahead of its you know, time cole's an artist so I'd, from his point of view you know it could have just been like wow this is groundbreaking yeah, yeah. i wish mm-hmm. there was more of this in snowboarding i know actually i mean i know exactly what cole's talking about because it uh scratched a creative itch for me that was not being scratched by um snowboard media and and so you know ir-77 was was a book that um i like designed and self-published and then there was a movie that went with it and the book had a lot of photo contributions from a lot from from all snowboard photographers but the call for for photos really didn't include a lot of snowboarding it was like about capturing the lifestyle and really like the emotional experience of snowboarding and focusing on that and, um, you know, and so that project was born out of my, like, uh, bomb hole of bomb holes, mm-hmm. my, um, breakdown of breakdowns, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so I had been in like a pretty dark place and I just knew that whatever I was doing was not working. And, uh, at the same time I had, you know, like been developing like just a, a lot more, uh, just experience with my like creative practices that's like a kind of cheesy way to say it but um it is true gets the point across no i got it yeah (laughs) Yeah. you know and so i've been like uh really into like filmmaking and design and stuff that was store that was telling stories you know it's less like action porn um and so i was like yeah, so I was like, I'm going to do this one more year <laughs> for the 10th time. But this time, I was truly committed, you know, like I knew. And I was like, I'm going to do it once more, and I'm going to do it the way I really want to do it, you know, like internally. And um, I'm going to make this book, and the book is going to, you know, tell a story of snowboarding, you know, and and do tr- like a little more of like a narrative, you know, kind of like the emotional arc of, of snowboarding that I experience. And it just felt like something that I could get passionate about again, you know, and something that wasn't depressing (laughs) to contemplate. Um, And so, and I had like made the book in the summer and then the film itself. And then, uh, you know, talked Jake Price and and Jess Gibson. um, Big time. And uh, talking those guys into helping me like, and to produce the film. And then I got like a ragtag group of my really close buddies. You know, there was John Cartwright and, and Shandy Campos and Andrew Crawford, who I had been traveling with and had known. Um, and they were all people who were, I mean, the truth is we weren't all world-class snowboarders at that point, you know, and we weren't at the top of our games. And it was a cool project, you know, that we could do and we could still like participate 
in snowboarding. But f- and for me personally, like not feel like I was going to have to die to to have value. Um, and we traveled all over, and, and you know, and we shot the film on like <laughs> on like Super Eight and Sixteen. Um, and then and it was structured also like in the way that was kind of a little bit of like telling the story, you know. So like the book was and the movie instead of just being part, 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 it had sections, which was like anticipation, you know, so like the morning before, like, you know, you look at the snow forecast, right? And the blood starts going. And then there was dedication, which really is to like putting your boots on and and, and breaking yourself. And then there was pain. And then there was a whole section just called stories, which was like room for snowboard culture and all the characters and the personalities and then exhilaration so it's pretty untraditional from a snowboard standpoint, you know, but was an attempt at telling a little bit more of like a story, you know, and which was stuff that I was like starting getting interested in and in, in which led me to, you know, the, making what I do now, which is like story driven films, whether they're documentary or scripted. And it was fucking awesome, you know, and it was like a way for me. And well, I, I mean, I also somehow like convinced all my sponsors, you know, to that this is what I was going to do and that <laughs> if they wanted to sponsor me, that they need to put money into the project. And uh, it was not like a big budget thing by any means, but it was a really cool opportunity for me who had gotten into a place where I could actually like do that, you know? And um, the funny thing is like we did, like I had such a blast making it and it t- the book itself, you know, like turned out like a, a really cool and the movie turned out really cool and then i quit and like we did you know like a premiere party in portland and i got in my car again and this time i just drove straight to new york city and like i was pretty chafed on snowboarding still you know like in in a in like a really immature way you know like the last couple years of snowboarding had you know like i felt like somehow these cosmic sport had like beat me up, <laughs> you know, and, um, which is not true. I had beaten myself up, you know, but it took me a couple of years. And so like when I left, you know, our, our premiere and just went to New York, like I remember walking the streets of New York in, it was like January and just being like, I'm so glad I'm not, putting on my snowboard boots and riding a snowmobile, you know, I remember just walking to the subway and somehow that was like this, this literally, that was like a, a sense that I had, you know, which is like coming from a place of resentment, which is, which is, um, n- not cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the funny thing is I was actually not really around to like understand what IR 77 was doing. And so it's such a pleasure. Like I do hear, from some people, and it was a pretty core project. It was like small, and there weren't like the must-see snowboard parts. You know, like there's like the videos where like well, you got to watch this to understand what's going on in snowboarding. This was not that, you know. And but I I do like can like continually hear you know some people are like, oh man, you know that movie like and book that like meant a lot to me. And um, the fact there was a book was kind of cool because it could like sit out in like some you know, dingy condo somewhere. <laughs> and like, it wasn't just putting it on, but people would kind of like 
or like read it in the bathroom. I'm sure it's in a lot of bathrooms. I think that was a big part of, uh, you know, Austin Smith's career too. And yeah. you could say the same for maybe even Jake Price, you know, a huge part for both of those guys' careers. But what does Austin, IR-77 stand for? IR-77 is the uh, periodic symbol for iridium. And like iridium lenses, you know, were like the lenses I was wearing when I was balling my eyeballs yeah, out. <laughs> I just know? made that connection. It's yeah. insane. And um, so that that was there and you know the cover the design of the cover is like that silver foil you know so there's like a reflectivity to it which is like i like like the the iridium lenses interesting that's that's cool i love it well we've been on a bit of a banter journey here lucas um you know before we get out of here we like to see if you want to throw out any thank yous get into that oh yeah um thank you you guys uh thanks to ethan and chris um first and foremost I, I've been pretty stoked on the show, you know, in the like uh, the like the complexity of conversations that you guys are opening up in snowboarding, you know, which is like why I got like really interested. Um, so thanks to you guys for like having a place for topics like this um, in snowboarding. Um, and then there's uh, at the top, you know, there, there's my wife, Lauren, whom air horns here. You ever the super air horn? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Oh, nice. Yeah. It goes on for a while. We'll, we'll let you continue. <laughs> uh, you know, without her, I would not be able to come here in, in today or just, like, be the person I am today, period. And then my two beautiful girls, Clara and Stella, who, as I said, you know, those are, like, my inspirations today. You know, they're everything. And then the, uh, like on my snowboard journey, there's, you know, Dan Sullivan who gave me the shared snowboard and original sin, um, Herb George, those guys who ran original sin sessions who, who got on board with me like, uh, pretty early, um, and the North wave and Drake. So that's like George, I mean, George Kleckner was with me for a lot of, of stuff. Um, and then the nitro crew. So Tonino. And Seth, who got me on there, and all the Euros, you know, who believed with me and, and stuck with me throughout the way. Uh, Whitey, and then Brad Kramer. You, you ever, you know Brad? Uh, not well. Oh, yeah, from, from I do know Brad from, uh, yeah, like I met him a couple times. Yeah, because yeah. he was on his way out probably when, when yeah, you Yeah, I never filmed out. with him, but I've, I'd, I'd just like seen him through JP yeah. and things like and that. And he was like the kingpin dude who I think took pity on Jesse and I for being such nerdy tools <laughs> and uh and then the treetop guys so was like a group of canadians you know which is like sheen campos who as i said was like my i used to call him the wizard he was like my wizard and standard the hatchets there dano you know pendagrassi for just sticking with me on top of so many cliffs and and then kearns uh sean kearns who truly like put me on the next level and and as i said and mike Rankwit, who i always think about when i think about snowboarding now i think about taking these airplane rides with mike which really kind of like shaped me in snowboarding in in like an intangible way um and then like the ir-77 crew so we got jess gibson and jake price who helped do it all the riders in the film who took a risk on hanging out with us um and then you know my brother jesse who is has been there with me all the way and then my parents and those are like the snowboard people and, and and then just to top it off there's like you know my whole 
production team now, you know, like I have like a small production company called Huffman Studio and we've got like this network of collaborators that are like the new crew, you know, so thanks to all you guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you guys do commercial work as well and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like branded content and then narrative stuff. If you guys need some stuff made, make sure to head on over your website, which will be linked in our show notes, in our YouTube description, all that stuff. Uh, what is, what's the website again? Uh, it's HuffmanStudio.tv. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and then you got your film coming out, which yeah. is going to be huge. Yeah. That's we just, I've, we, I just found out, they did the awards yesterday. We won the best short drama and the best editing, which I got the nod for. Let's go. See, That's heavy. Yeah. Finally, it all came back around. Yeah, you don't Beautiful. want it as soon as you don't want it. It's like a relationship with a girl. As soon as you, like, yeah. you know, when you're trying to date a girl and you, yep. you're coming on strong, and then the minute you don't care about... You know, then they, she they wants want, you. Yeah, yeah they come okay. knocking. Yeah, I'm stoked. That's killer. Well, dude, thanks so much for your uh, contribution to snowboarding and fucking after all these years coming back and sitting down with us. So we yeah, really, really, guys. we really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'll have another episode coming for you guys next week. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening each and every week. We will see you over and out from the bomb hole. Peace.